You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Welcome, welcome everybody. This is episode three, season two of Cards and Cubes, where we're going to talk about SaltCon Spring 2022. We're your hosts. I'm Trevor. I'm Christo. And with our power combined... We talk about board games. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we recently attended uh, SaltCon Spring 2022, which was March 3rd through March 6th, if you are the brave to start early and end late. 24-hour uh, gaming. We were there all 24 hours of every day, right? <laughs> no, not this time, actually. Previously, I've been a lot more crazy about SaltCon, but I was going to say this time... Uh, it wasn't that crazy. I yeah, I was going to say. I went back and slept <laughs> every day. I was going to say, so. I, actually, I actually noticed you with uh, smaller bags under your eyes at the salt kind of as, as opposed to previous years. Uh, I think we generally stopped gaming by like 11 or 12 each night. Uh, it did. It did help that we were volunteering at the morning shift uh, in the hot games section, so... Yeah, I think that's what kind of got me started on the be reasonable uh, part because I had to wake up pretty early every morning almost. Well, other than Saturday and Sunday, but I kind of went with the schedule of kind of starting on time as opposed to staying up really late. Yeah, yeah. And so just for the benefit of the listeners, Harisu and I were teaching games to uh, convention attendees and our shifts were 8 a.m. to 12 p.m., um, all four days we each took two days so we we had to be there pretty early which kind of uh, made us not want to stay past midnight each day uh, but it was a good time uh, overall impressions of this year yeah i liked it i like teaching i like volunteering for hot games uh, we're thinking about doing it probably for end of summer again uh hopefully if you if i taught you games i did a good job um but would I, I didn't have too many people and actually the funny thing is i taught a couple of games to like the people later in the shifts in the afternoon shift i think for them to just kind of get some practice on the games that they were teaching so kind of like pass <laughs> their baton or something well that but, should get a couple of uh brownie points yeah but uh yeah hopefully i, I like i say i tried to do a good job it's sometimes hard to like get, go through every single rule when you teach games so i'm always kind of trying to just be complete but yeah it, i i liked it it was a good time uh, actually overall impression of the convention uh preface to our list my list at least uh, um i don't know if i'm like hitting the uh time of my gaming career when i'm i've played a lot of the good games but not so great this year actually <laughs> i can uh not, not to cast shade on 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 Risto, but i can say that the 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 category of games that I did not enjoy, I'm looking at my list of plays were games that Risto brought to the table yeah. and subjected us to. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, I, I'll talk about it, but um, a lot of the games were just kind of like weird and uh, I don't know, maybe it was just that kind of year, but... Um, I, I mean, I usually try to kind of stray from the mainstream path of like pr proven games or whatever. So yeah, not super amazing this year. 
um, overall. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my impression yeah. as far as the games I played at yeah. least. You do but, find some good ones in there when, when you do that kind of stuff, but you also find a lot of... A lot of bad ones. Yeah. A lot of bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, it was okay. Like uh, I didn't have a, a bad time. I always have a good time playing games, even though they might not be the best. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's fine. Yeah, I don't whenever take Soul I uh, very seriously, so you know it's supposed to be a good time, and yeah. if you play a bad game, oh well, it's kind of funny, and just move on, I guess. Yeah, when, whenever I play a bad game, um, in general, it's all kind. Of, I I might get upset with the game, but I always enjoy the company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, we're gonna do kind of a play by play through what we played, just kind of quickly summarizing uh, the good and bad times we had. Um, my discussion is going to be kind of chronological because I have a I have a, a history book of games in front of me, and and Hristos is going to be. You said you're ordering yours kind of by significance. Yeah, I think I'm gonna start with kind of the more significant games for one reason or another to me in the convention, and not necessarily the best games. This is not a top list or anything for me, but I. I don't know. I was thinking maybe I should keep a log just for SaltCon next year or something uh, because I don't really keep a log of the games I play. Um, so I kind of organize the games by like significance as opposed to Trevor was organizing them by like day by day. But I don't know. It's, it's fine. Whatever. I've, yeah, well, I've, got the, <laughs> I've got the games that mattered to me the most up front, I guess. So yeah. it's going to be like a weird mixture. And we were just uh, talking before we started recording. I mentioned a couple of games that I played with Restone. He's like, oh, I forgot I played that game. Oh, yeah. Well, it was a game that I kind of wish I would forget that I, that I played. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I wasn't surprised about that one. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, uh, I think we just dive into this. Uh, my first one is going to be pretty quick because we've talked about this game and everybody should really know what it is. It's Great Western Trail 2nd Edition. Uh, we played, I played this with just one other person, so it was a fairly quick two-player game. Uh, all I could say is that Great Western Trail is a great game and you should play it. The second edition really doesn't change much except well the the whole look of the game is completely overhauled with new art and and stuff like that but the core of the game is entirely the same. I think the only differences are that there's a slight setup difference for player order and I think the only difference is that the later you go in turn order you get to draw more cards and build your hand accordingly so like you're supposed to have four cards total so first player starts with four cards second player starts with five cards and then Interesting. you just can you go still anywhere on the map can you yeah. start anywhere on the map yep yep so the later players effectively get to kind of like start their turn a little better maybe better options or something yeah yeah so it gives you a little bit of option there um and then they incorporated the exchange tokens from the no rails to the north expansion into the base game which basically just allows you to do some card shuffling to draw some cards discard some cards so those tokens are in the base game and then they added mutating cows uh which basically <laughs> it's it's an orange cow i forget i think it's called a seminal cow but anyway it starts as i think a level two cow and then if you have that cow in your hand when you go to deliver to kansas city uh, you can exchange it for an uh, an upgraded cow. So basically, 
it's like a cow that just gets better over time if you happen to have it in your hand when you are delivering cows. And it can upgrade twice, I think, to maybe a level four or five. Anyway, uh, really like the game. It's good. Second edition is great. Uh, I recommend it. And that's Great Western Trail. Yep. I saw you on the, f- the first day in the morning and um, I said, get it out of your system. <laughs> Just kidding. It's fine. No, I mean, uh, the you played it with one other person who has played the game like 150 times and I feel like I should just like never play with you guys anymore because oh. it's just going to be like not a good experience. As I'll, far as, I'll like, bet you never trying guess to even win who the won. Game. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I mean, it's whatever. Yeah, I yeah. lost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I lost. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind then. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I tried to do the building strategy just to, see, just to see if I could dream big. In the base game? No. Yeah. I, and it, I don't think so. It didn't work out so well because I enabled some, cow, some cowboy madness <laughs> and then I just lost. <laughs> Yep. No, it's it's definitely one uh, a game that you could play hundreds of times. I think that's the one because there's just so much so much variability yeah. and you build a different map every time. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Um. So probably the most significant game that I played of SaltCon 22 Spring 2022 is Witchstone. It's a new game by Reiner Knizia. I think it's uh, funny again. I never look up the designers of games yeah, but I think it's Reiner Knizia, right? Reiner Knizia co-designed with Martino Cecchiera I don't I don't know how to pronounce his last name Wow, he's like Italian Cecchiera or something uh, Don't know who really is the that Deckscape is guy. Yeah, apparently he's done much lighter games before actually I'm looking at his history Similo, so Deckscape yeah, kind of surprising. I don't know what he contributed to Witchstone, but um, that was actually a surprisingly cool game of the weight that I like and just kind of maybe mechanics that I like as well. Um, I'm not sure really how to describe it uh, exactly. Uh, the boards that you use to generate actions kind of reminded me of bonfire but someone was actually saying that it's from ingenious which i haven't played before and i'm not sure who designed ingenious but uh, i thought that was pretty cool basically you kind of have some tiles in front of you and you put them uh, face up on a board and you're trying to kind of make blobs of the same symbol and the larger blob you make the more you activate and obviously if you want to do good actions you should put symbols next to each other that are the same but what complicates things are these like kind of stones that you have on your board so kind of even more interesting than uh, bonfire where bonfire you're just connecting the same symbols it's a hex board though so uh, easier to do larger explosions in bonfire it's, it's like square so it's much harder to connect the same symbol over and over also this one has smaller tiles so just kind of more a little bit easier more explosive but there's a game on your personal board but what are you doing i'm not even sure what exactly you're doing i guess because you're obviously witch stone you're witches and you have a tower and i think you're basically kind of building paths and doing like magic or something or taking over villages or terrorizing villages i don't know what the heck you're doing to the villages <laughs> but uh something <laughs> yeah you're like installing witches in them but basically um you 
have a board, it's an action board, you generate some actions, you have a network building thing on a central board. So you're like making these paths that you can actually use other people's paths as well to install witches in specific places. And you're pushing maybe a couple of linear tracks as well without some other actions. And there's some combos with those actions that combo with the other actions in the game. So there's like a little bit of combo building, actually quite a bit of combo building. You can have some pretty big turns. And there's a pretty significant action where you get some end game goals that are just kind of sliding and there's a lot of them and there are things like have witches in these specific locations or have this action of size of whatever. So, like I say, it's kind of hard to describe what the game is. I'd say it's kind of like combo-y network building concept game with some tracks and just kind of collecting resources. Uh, hard to describe, but I really liked it. Um, it's also the weight that I like, which is kind of, I'd say, like kind of medium-y. Um, I'm not sure if you can play this game to death, like over and over. But um, I don't know. I, I just like network building as well. Just the mechanics of it. Um, it was very. I did not expect to like it that much because Ragnar Knizia has done some kind of uh, less exciting games recently. So I was just like, hmm, I don't know, kind of holding my hopes a little bit down. So maybe that helped. But uh, yeah, probably the most surprisingly good game of the convention. What did you think about it, Trevor? You also played it. We also played it uh, wrong the first time. So we like spammed the end game goals harder than they should have been. Uh, or actually some actions on get the end game cards or whatever. The second time we, I think, played it right. I hope, because I never actually read the rule book. So yeah. Yeah, you know what's funny about that is that your score increased by one point in the second game so we play, we played it wrong the first time but we actually did better both of us the second time we played um yeah i agree this game was a lot of fun i liked it quite a bit um i was just looking up in genius and uh 50 50 chance you can guess a game has been designed by reiner knizia uh, Ingenious is a Kinitia game. Uh, it looks like, I think, a, an extremely abstract game where the Witchstone tile placement, like personal board tile placement game, is just a central board where you're placing and matching symbols. And I think maybe moving up point tracks, depending on what you place, just a guess by looking at this picture. Um, but anyway, I thought that this game was really cool. It, it felt thematic. Even though, like Christo said, it's not clear what you're doing, but it it does. I did feel like I was playing kind of this witch magicy type game. Um, I really liked the action tile uh, mechanism. Like Christo said, it's similar to Bonfire, and I really really like Bonfire. So that. That part of it was fun. The network building between the witch towers was fun. And um, I think maybe the only slight ding I have on the game is kind of the similar thing I had, issue I had with Lisboa, which is depending on how the scroll cards come out, you're just kind of hoping for the right ones to come along to score points. But at the same time, everybody's kind of doing that. So... I don't know that it's a problem. It's just um, 
sometimes the right card comes along and you get a lot of points and sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, but I, I don't know that I saw enormous swings in the game, at least the two times I played it. Because of that, that's just kind of, it's not a bug, it's a feature of the game, is that you just kind of have to pay attention to that card river and grab scoring cards when you can. Um, but yeah, really good game. I liked it. This was actually the next game I played, so I was, was going to bring it up. Yeah, I mean, it's not a super deep, pure game. But that's what probably what makes it also a little bit um, medium-y. Uh, because, yeah, those the sliding goals, like some of them could work for you and some of them could not work for you. Or if someone else is doing something similar, they just take points from you, which is really bad. But uh, I think, like, in general, in that entire, like, river there, you can find something good that works for you even if it's not perfect um but i think overall like for a medium game it's fine (laughs) and and it's not a super super serious game yeah and that's that's a good point about those cards is that i think that um from what i saw of the cards generally they're all types of cards that you could probably do most of the ones you see come out obviously you'll be able to do some better than others there were only a couple i think that would have been basically impossible for me like connecting to certain colors or having a witch standing in certain colors it just at the point in the game i was at that was not how i had played and so i couldn't make that work but there were other options so it wasn't like it was ending ending my game to not be able to do those particular cards Yep. By the way, I've heard really good things about Ingenious, and I just looked it up, and it's in the SaltCon library. So goals for the end of summer, maybe, because it's only 30, 45 minutes, apparently. So hopefully we'll play it then. Yeah, it looks pretty light, and I'd, I'd be down to try that. It looks cool. Yep. Just like an abstract version of the action selection from Witchstone. But yeah, surprisingly good um, overall. Um, I think I will get Witchstone eventually, which... Uh, doesn't frequently happen with Reiner Knizia games because he's done a lot of kind of meh games over the years because he publishes so many of them. Nice. So you'll buy this in like five Eventually, years when it's on uh, yep. in discount. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think uh, it, it might go down faster because it's not like Beyond the Sun where people play it a lot. I bet like next year no one will care about it and people will start selling it. <laughs> That's when I buy games usually. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, I, I, I will say I don't I have not heard the general buzz around Witchstone like I have with games of years past, like Beyond the Sun. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's not popular. Just I haven't heard a lot about it from other people. Uh, okay, so the next game I played after that, I'm going to do two real quick because the the first one is Micro Macro Crime City. And <laughs> I just have super cooled on this game it's just not fun anymore (laughs) i just i don't know maybe it's a fun party type game but uh the novelty has worn off i'll just say that uh the next game i played after that was one i played with Risto. actually is cape may Uh, by the way before cape may did you enjoy the overlay that you could draw on the game they had like an acrylic overlay over the map which i thought was a pretty cool idea I think it's a good way to play the game, yeah. Because um, it's much more fun maybe than looking up things and you can actually like draw things and trace things. I thought that might kind of make it better in some ways. Also easier, but yeah. maybe better. Yeah, I, th- I thought that that was a nice way to play the game if if you like 
to play the game <laughs> but kind of an uh, expensive way to make it yeah much better because the game's like ten dollars and it's like a piece of paper a map yeah. huge piece of paper and i guess you could try to find some way to laminate it but that sounds like just a nightmare yeah, that's like <laughs> and, and literally put it on your wall like they want yeah, you exactly. to because like how yeah. are you gonna store it in a straight position anyway. yeah but i i don't know how i feel about dry erase because over time it just gets just gets nasty and yeah yeah so if well, you like it though you can like wipe it down with alcohol yeah. or something so rubbing alcohol yep if you like uh micro 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 macro or whatever enough to to do that i think that's the best way to play it so i think it's uh, it's the same right just different map different cases because i didn't yeah. actually play the second one but i'm guessing it's like exactly the same any new mechanics or anything weird that you saw or not really not that i saw uh, that doesn't mean it's not there, but I it's think just new cases, new map, new cases, new map. But I could have not played something with something new. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yep. Um, okay. So then Cape we played May. Cape, Cape May. May not. Cape May not exactly. That's that should be an indicator. <laughs> I don't think either of us really liked this game. So this is. Uh, let's see. I think this is a first-time designer, Eric Mosso. Uh, just looking at his. Yeah. Oh, he has also designed a mini expansion for Cape May. So, not a first timer. <laughs> um, not to say that you can't have a great game on your first time. But I I just didn't like this one too much. So basically, the the concept of the game is you've you're taking. Uh, it's basically you have a certain number of action points each turn, and what you're doing is you're moving your proprietor person around the town of Cape May building businesses and residences. And then basically uh, you move from lesser valuable real estate in the gravel to more valuable real estate in the, in the grass, then into the dirt and then into the, uh, the, the beach basically. And the closer you are to the beach, the more valuable your properties are. So when you build residences, that's kind of, um, equating to more points at the end of the game, and if you're building res or businesses, then it kind of makes you earn more money during the game. There's a couple of income turns throughout, so that you can kind of, I guess, sort of have an income engine, run it a couple of times, buy the best properties, and try to score the most points. Uh, I think everybody gets a couple of personal goal cards that may or may not work i think within the first two or three turns one of my cards became impossible so that was pretty cool um and then my favorite mechanism is games that you can just land on a bird space which is not adjacent to any building spaces so you can't build any buildings if you're going for birds but the mechanism is that you pull a random bird out of a bag and then birds become set collection scoring at the end so you could just kind of dig for miracles in a bag. Uh, speaking of adjacent building spots, that's what you have to do in order to build your buildings. You have to move your person along these streets so that they're standing next to places to build the businesses or the houses, unless you have a card that just lets you cheat and build anywhere. And guess what? There's a lot of those cards. So basically, the core concept of building adjacency kind of doesn't matter because you can just get cards that let you do wild things all over the map. And so um, I think the game is kind of presented as a medium-ish weight 
um, Euro style game, but it just becomes kind of a top decking nightmare and an exercise in frustration. In, in my experience, um, that it just, I don't know. It just didn't land right with me. I know a lot of people have enjoyed it, but it's just a little too much random for that weight of game uh, for me. What did you think of it? Yeah, basically what you said kind of, um, to me, it kind of feels like old for some reason is what I want to say. Like it's the, the, the design feels like it's something that should have come out in like 1995 and I'd be fine with it probably. Uh, but that, I know that's a really weird thing to say cause it has like kind of modern stuff mechanics ish, but like it kind of feels like it wants to be a roll and move, but with cards, obviously, cause you choose how much you move, but it's kind of like a roll and move and do something, uh, wherever you land. Um, someone actually, I was browsing through the comments and someone was saying like, it's monopoly in disguise maybe or something. Cause you're just like moving and moving in a quiet properties um but i mean it's kind of true it's just like i don't know that was very confused about why i didn't even like the game so much but it just feels like you're like the impact of your actions is not great and also there's a lot of just like randomness coming into the game especially like you say i think the biggest thing for me was those cards that you can get and it turns out you can actually get a lot of them where uh Basically, they defeat the core mechanic of the game, which is you have to be somewhere to build. But just kidding, if you have the right card, you actually don't have to be there to build. So, like, what's the point of being anywhere? You just have the right cards and you can build, right? I don't know. It did, like, there's a bunch of nonsensical stuff like that to me as far as the design goes. So, like, maybe if your position doesn't matter, it should have been easier to move or something. Maybe if, I don't know. Uh, also the uh, other thing that was kind of annoying is there's these like events and they're pretty random oh, and, like, I forgot in, about in, a, in a really <laughs> crappy way like for example there's a fire in the bottom left corner of the board so it just costs two extra coins to build there so like you want to build there this round and you're nearby well that's too bad it just costs two coins for you why because there's an event going on or like uh, these the buildings are being taxed because I don't know there's just an event and like if you built a particular like shops or something in some area or whatever they're being taxed so if you built a lot of those accidentally because that's what was your goal in the game well guess what you just paid like 10 coins or something so there's just like these like random events on top of the random cards overall just kind of a very random experience in my uh opinion even though he wanted i guess the movement to not be random that's why he gave you cards but like the rest of the game is random so it kind of doesn't add up to a lot of control and predictability in my experience of the game and that was just kind of yeah whatever yeah, i mean for for a game that's pushing 90 to 120 minutes uh you kind of i feel like you want to walk back the random outputs a bit yeah. and the the thing with the birds is just so weird like there's this game and like oh there's by the way there's a bird bag and you pull out birds for pure set collection they hardly ever matter throughout the game it's just like at the end of the game you just get uh points for birds so like what <laughs> yeah and actually i uh i rebelled against the game and started doing birds because uh towards the end of the game well one of the scoring ways to score is having the most buildings in the one of the different regions at the end of the game or something like that and i was positioned really well to 
to have the majority in the most valuable region. And then between my turns, uh, some of the other players at the table just had the build anywhere cards and just sniped all of that. And so I, I was like, well, I can't really do anything meaningful for the rest of this game. So I'm just going to go pick up some birds. And yeah, actually, <laughs> you know? that's the other thing I was going to say about the overall feel of the game is like, it doesn't feel like you're doing clever stuff and being cool and having awesome turns. It, it just feels like basically the other players are like ruining stuff constantly for you. That was at least my feeling of the game. So it's, it's yeah. not like a positive feeling that you're doing cool stuff and like epic turns and setting up majorities wherever you need to. It's just more like, Oh, you took that space, so things are ruined for me. Oh, you took that space. My card doesn't work anymore. Oh, oh you took I got that a space. Random event. Yeah, oh, I got a random <laughs> event. So, like, where I was planning on going cost two extra coins. So and I don't just, have the money. So, it's just like <laughs> all these, like, basically, like, the, the, I feel like the entire game is more based on, like, negative interactions than positive interactions, unfortunately. And that yeah. uh, kind of makes it annoying, I think, as well. Yeah, don't, also, don't be fooled by the, by the, you know, the non offensive theme of. Cape May. Yeah. <laughs> also, maybe that's why I feel like it belongs in like 1995 or something as far as like the feel of the design. Yep. Anyway, so that yep. was Cape May in the category of games that we did not enjoy as much. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll open this can of worms. Arc Nova. Uh, we finally scrounged the copy <laughs> from the claws of someone who actually owned the copy. Uh, technically, there was a library copy of this game, and uh, it was checked out like before the library opened. <laughs> and then it was never checked in for more than like two minutes, I think, at a time. And uh, anyway, all that aside, we finally got to play it on Sunday. Uh, really super in demand at least at saltcon i don't know if that's the overall feeling uh game very highly anticipated i'm not sure who the designer is or whatever or if i care uh let me actually see oh yeah first time designer actually um that's uh, i actually yes. did know that because i was i looked it up later and i was like oh yeah cool that makes sense uh so the game actually had a lot of rules and it was uh it seemed really not intuitive but once we started playing it it was actually fairly intuitive uh we played with someone who i'm actually not sure if he was playing correctly but i basically got the idea of how the game should be played and i think i was playing correctly at least that's the other thing is like good luck tracing what other people are doing because you have no freaking idea there's just so many cards and effects but uh what is the yeah, game we were also speed playing too uh what were we sorry i didn't hear uh, we were we were speed playing but like trying to finish the game and under a certain time limit so we weren't really paying attention to oh, yes each other's yes. turns in depth yeah uh kind of a longer game as well uh, it's listed as 90 to 150 minutes i think it took us like two hours and a half or something which actually is not yeah. bad for a first play like it's pretty fine with like four people playing uh there was some confusion about some rules by the people who haven't who were anyway whatever um but what is the game uh kind of difficult to describe but i would actually say uh, to me it feels like terraforming mars basically that's the biggest i think influence of where just like the feel of the game um i don't know if trevor would agree but i would 
technically yep. it kind of isn't terraforming Mars, just technically, because you have a board in front of you, you're building thematically, what are you doing? You're uh, building a zoo, actually, but it's not just collect animals for a zoo, you can also re release animals and do like conservation projects, so I think uh, it's kind of like a, a wildlife management type of game, I would say. So you're not like you're like getting, you're doing partnerships that thematically with other zoos and other continents and they deliver animals to your zoo for a discount and you can even release animals for points later in the game and like in the wild and stuff and just do like stuff that's thematically, yeah, yep. I would kind of describe it as like a it's a business simulation. You're you're basically running a business or some kind of nonprofit that their business is wildlife. Yeah. And, and conservation yes but profit is only one success track <laughs> there's yeah. two success tracks and one of them's profit the other one's conservation so that's why you want to have unique animals and also release them maybe later because it gives you conservation points uh the the, the cool thing there is it's like rajas of the ganges uh, there's two tracks which go against each other like in a circle kind of a way or like you imagine like them going in the opposite directions and when your markers of income and con conservation meet, that's when you end the game. You don't necessarily win the game. That's just when you end the game. There's some end game scoring. And then whoever has the highest difference, like basically of conservation plus income, uh, wins the game. So, yeah, like I say, there's a personal born in front of you. You build animal animal enclosures there, and uh, you fill them up with animals. There's some gameplay considerations there. There's also an interesting action mechanic. Uh, the action mechanic, I'm not sure where it's coming from, but um, I'd say actually Civilization and New Dawn is the latest game that I've played, at least personally, or the most recent one that, that had this mechanic. Uh, you do the main way you take actions. Actually, that's basically, I think, the only way you take actions is you select a card, and depending on where it is, you do a more and more powerful actions. So the point is kind of like a personal rondelle. If you let an action kind of like charge up, uh, and then you move it left so it's basically in the worst position. So if you let an action charge up, you can do a cooler action, and then you have to wait for it to charge up again, and then you can do that same action, but powerfully or you can do the same action but weakly so you generally kind of try to do the actions that are on the rightmost spaces which are the best like the most charged or whatever actions but the actions kind of drive the whole game you get enclosures you build stuff you get animals you get sponsors or whatever from the middle which are just card effects that there's a lot of card effects in this game this is card effects the game uh, because there's a lot of things that interact with each other, which I thought was actually not going to be very intuitive, but it actually does make a lot of sense now once you understand like the rules um, of the game. Uh, everything makes fairly good sense. We had some weird questions of like some weird cards that had to do with empty spaces on the edges of the board or something. So that's a weird one. But most, most of the card effects, even though there's many of them, are very understandable. There's a huge deck with mixed animals and sponsors, and the most of the game is cards. So ultimately what you want to do is install animals in your enclosures, which are all cards, and install sponsors to just pump up your income and give you bonuses. And there's another board with like some scoring things there. Uh, uh, yeah, not gonna go through all the rules clearly, but... Um, my personal impressions, I had 
some actually pretty good expectations because a very interesting mix of mechanics, uh, scoring from Rajas of the Ganges, like the power, uh, power rondelle of actions from Civilization New Dawn are just kind of something unique. I like the personal board stuff in front of you actually quite a bit. Uh, what I personally kind of as a first play did not like so much was there's take that cards. And I actually thought they weren't going to be very significant, but uh, it, they were very significant, <laughs> at least to me. Um, basically, one of the cards caused me to like skip an entire turn. And uh, in response, I just like griefed the rest of the table with a different card, which like basically wasted a bunch of money from them. Um, the other thing that I wasn't super huge fan of was there's a, a very large deck of cards to dig through. So if, if you're looking for particular cards, kind of good luck. Uh, I don't think you even go through the whole deck in the game. So I feel like, I don't know, it's just, I've only played it once, obviously. So I don't know like the entire deck and I haven't tried all the strategies. There's strategies of like different types of animals and you can collect a lot of them. But my impression is you kind of make do with the cards that the game gives you as opposed to trying to like force some kind of strategy if that makes sense uh, i don't know yeah what did you think about the game trevor initial impressions or whatever there's kind of a lot to think about to talk about i guess in this game yeah yeah there is a lot to talk about uh overall impression i like the game um, a good bit. I think it's it's solid. And, and coming from a first-time designer, I'm pretty impressed uh, because this certainly doesn't feel like a rookie design. Um, that being said, I think that, like you said, I, I, I don't know that this game necessarily does anything particularly innovative or new by itself, but it takes a lot of really cool ideas from other games and combines them into a pretty cool package that I think works well. Um, I thought that the uh, action selection mechanism was really cool where you just have the same five cards. So you basically only have five choices for the whole game and you just take them at different different power levels from one to five. And you can use these check marks or X marks to kind of boost them if, if they're not in the right spot. So I, I thought that was really cool. I also really enjoyed the way the personal player board worked in front of you and how it felt kind of big, like large scale, uh, animal project conservation, uh, style. I thought it, it might not have been as cool if you did kind of a New York zoo type thing where you're actually getting the physical animals and like trying to do a spatial puzzle thing there, but it was more like building enclosures and then having, uh, certain attractions, or maybe you get different types of buildings with like a, a bird aviary thing or, or a reptile house that could house more reptiles than your average enclosure. So I really liked how it brought all those together. Um, you're right that it's it feels most similar to terraforming mars and i i almost feel like this designer just uh basically threw down the gauntlet for terraforming mars because i think i enjoy the way this game plays out more because although it is heavily dependent on cards i think that this game gives you more to do outside of the cards than terraforming mars does but that's just my impression after one play of arc nova 
Um, I will say that that's that's a legitimate concern of the game is that there's so many different cards that um, I I worry whether some of the strategies might be diluted or just impossible depending on how the cards come out. And that's one of the problems I have with terraforming Mars. And it's not that I guess that's just a problem you can't get around when you have a car, a game with like 300 cards. Um, so my hope is that the distribution of cards and abilities works kind of just works out so that you so any strategy could work in any game but yeah you know, I, I just don't know how that plays out um i will say that the take that aspect of the game um my experience with that was that it actually helped the game experience and i i realized that's that maybe wasn't your experience but um from where I was sitting at that game, th- because of the way my cards worked out, my conservation engine, so like working up one of the tracks, had a very much slower start than other players at the table. So I appreciated the fact that there was something in the game that could help kind of curb a runaway leader. Um it's, I, I can appreciate that it's not fun to be on the receiving end of that, but I felt like those those um, mechanisms made a three-hour game still feel like it was anyone's game. Um, so I, I kind of appreciated that, although I can I can um, I can say that it, it, it if it just becomes that someone's targeting the wrong person, <laughs> you know, then that's that's when it can become less fun. Um, so I I know that the, the couple of take cards, take that cards that I had made me attack the leading player. I don't know if there were cards that the other players played that allowed them to choose someone. Do, uh, do you recall? No, I'm pretty sure all the cards were like whoever's highest on like this track. But well, some of them were based on the money track, some of them were based on the conservation track, I think, and some of them were like oh, both okay. or something, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So it's kind of weird, like just depending on the track. Uh, no, I can kind of see your uh, the argument that like, yeah, it attacks a leader and like unlike Terraforming Mars, where I basically actually kind of stopped playing the game because of that. Um, this game is not like Terraforming Mars, where it's, you choose the target and it's like, haha, you lose like production or whatever, which I think exactly. is uh, one the most ridiculous thing. It's not even the plants. I think the plants are kind of whatever, like um, who cares? Maybe there is a card where you actually steal production. You can, you can do that on like turn one of the game. And yeah, you lose like a victory point or something. But I think if you do that on turn one of Terraforming Mars, it's just like a freaking disaster because it's an engine building yeah. game and it probably probably equates to like many many opportunities lost uh this game actually doesn't enable to take that until like you hit what is it 25 or something of wealth or whatever like there that's a little bit delayed so you can't do it on turn one so i think he like thought about and made sure that uh like it's not as infuriating as Terraforming Mars, <laughs> yeah. but it still is pretty bad. I think uh, basically it was kind of like you get to skip a turn in my case, at least, because yeah, it makes your action one worse. But I really needed the action to be at power five because I was building a special enclosure, so it's like the perfect storm of horribleness. Um, yeah. So and I I think there are ways. 
um, you know, obviously wouldn't have been aware of this in the first <laughs> yeah, like playthrough. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. also like good luck having that specific card out of 300 cards just in case someone might do that to you. Anyway, it's or, just kind or of... I mean, like in your in your particular case, it, it made your actions of a lesser power. So the way to kind of maybe oh, like plan for that X is token. yeah, like keep X tokens just in case. I, I mean, it's not the best, but I mean, I'm just, all I'm saying is that it, it appears there are theoretically ways to kind of mitigate being hit by those yeah, cards. Yeah. Whereas in terraforming Mars, it's just like, Hey, you lose your production, <laughs> you know? No, but I mean, overall for me, actually the biggest thing is not even very specific things, but, uh, I think this game actually has a lot of potential. I think actually it might kind of explode and even take over Terraforming Mars, maybe. I don't know. Might be like the new wingspan, uh, but like that some kind of a symbiosis of popularity between Terraforming Mars and wingspan, because that's what it kind of reminds me of is like a, a more grown up wingspan with Terraforming Mars type mechanics plus some extra stuff thrown on top so i think it yeah. could actually explode the other the concern i have is it's a freaking two and a half hour game going fairly quickly without rules explanation and i think bringing this to like a game night or something where no one's played this game before like you're gonna have a pretty ridiculous time trying to explain the game to someone so it's almost like a weird place where this game sits is definitely for people who play a lot of board games and uh i don't know it's it's like in a really strange place as far as uh trying to play it a lot or something for, um but i can see how it might get kind of a lot of fans in the way that like root has a lot of fans because root's another nightmare to explain game but it somehow did well because a lot of people just like it a lot and they know how to play i guess so i think uh this has the same potential to be in that space um overall personally like i'm not super crazy about it for some reason uh, maybe because i saw a lot of the things that make me kind of it kind of i cooled on terraforming mars because of here like i see the exact same kind of things uh things like take that and just like very diluted card deck um again like there's the there's protections it's supposed to attack the leader it only enables gets enabled later in the game you know like there's obviously well thought design around it but it's still there so i don't know for me it's i'll i'll play it again someday i guess uh, it was at least worth trying in my opinion and yeah for a first design actually definitely a pretty awesome job i also don't know if the goals work at all <laughs> like, like there's a, uh, just something that i was thinking about as i was looking at the pictures there's a mechanic where like you can basically play a end game scoring card or not end game scoring card and i think the idea there is like you can see what other people are doing and like join them on their card but it takes so long to set those cards up that basically you're the only one doing that card because it's like have three of this type of animal and it's like a very very deliberate yeah. setup to have three animals of that type so those cards yeah. too, and at least in our game kind of like slid off the table with one one marker on them because no one else is going to join you really there's just not enough time to do weird stuff like yeah. that i agree those those were kind of uh 
the the ones that other people put out are just kind of happenstance hail marys like maybe it works maybe it doesn't i my experience was that you might be holding on to one or two of those that you've been trying you've been wanting to score for quite a while and then it's just a matter of when you put them out but uh yeah <laughs> well, i'm i'm i agree i, I might I might not see all of those working out so well, but again, it's just kind of grab what whatever points you can at the end of the game kind yeah. of thing. Overall, for a first design, though, pretty freaking like good, actually. Um, yeah, I agree. For a first-time designer, like a really insanely complicated game, which, however, makes sense to people who've played a lot of board games, I think. Otherwise, you might be a little confused about how the game works in some respects. Yep, I agree. All right, well, moving on from a big game to another big game, uh, the next game I played was Bitoku. And Bitoku is... Oh my gosh, I can't even... Extremely colorful with an extremely (laughs) insanely busy-looking dual-layer board. That's my superficial impression before walking away. So this is is something that's really funny. this game looks really busy. Yeah. Like there, there's just so many bits and pieces and so much happening. And maybe it's because I play a decent amount of heavier-ish games, but I felt like this game actually wasn't that complicated and, and, and was fun to play. So at its core, it's a dice placement game. Um, basically the theme of the game is you're trying to become the next Batoku, which is some sort of great spirit or something. And so this like giant antler deer. Speaking of which also weird terminology, by the way, like really strange terminology, nothing in the game is like anything usual. Everything's like a Kami or just has specific weird names. Yeah. Everything is kind of Japanese adjacent. I think that the, the designers were trying to, kind of create their own universe within Japanese lore and I'm not versed enough into Japanese lore to know whether or not they got any of it right Um, but basically the flow of the game is uh, you're trying to it's a deck builder mixed with dice placement so effectively you try to at the start of each round each of your dice starts locked on your personal player board and you unlock your dice by either doing actions that unlock them or by playing a card from your hand onto your player board that will then unlock one of the dice next to it and then that die becomes free to place on one of the river spots and there's like five districts where you can place that get a variety of things. There's dragonfly tokens and these mana tokens, and then you can get resources or you can build buildings. And uh, when you place your die, the value of the die is going to determine what you can do at that space. And in each of the river areas, there's an a river action. Uh, and the, the higher level of your dice, the better your action becomes. And then there's a building action if a building has been built in, in your in that section of the board and each building has a die value associated with it. And the higher value the die, the better the action is generally. Uh, And then there's this whole (laughs) interconnectedness of whoever built that building. If you use their building, they get a benefit from it. And there's a lot of engine stuff in the game that I won't go into 
for purposes of this podcast. Uh, but basically, you'll place your die onto the river space, and then at some point, you can have your die cross the river and enter into a more enlightened zone uh, where you get to pick up cards or do different actions like move your Kodama bean or whatever it is up these certain tracks where you're going to have uh, scoring competitions at the end of the game. Anyway, there, there's a lot of stuff happening in this game, and I'm not, not going to get into it all, but basically that's the flow of the game. You play cards to your player board, you move your dice to the board, the dice cross the river, you pick up cards, and that's how you build your deck. Um, and then you just rinse, wash, repeat, do that like four for four rounds, and then whoever has the most points at the end wins. Uh there's a couple other small mechanisms, or not small, but related mechanisms into the game where you can like send these pilgrims on qu- pilgrimages at the top of the main board where they're just like walking along a path and eventually they go to sleep at a gate or a tower and that gate or tower gives you added bonuses or added resources or, or whatever. And you can also send your pilgrims to sit next to stones on your own player mat where they will uh, contribute to uh, multiplication scoring based on game elements that you have acquired over the course of the game, or you can send your Batoku thing walking along a path that you create uh, along your player board. So there's a lot of kind of interconnected mechanisms here, but it's ultimately just kind of point salad scoring. You just try to get a strategy together that works and that scores end game cards or uncovers scoring things on your player board. And it's just a whole jumble of mechanisms together. I, th- I think that um, a lot of people kind of get intimidated the game by how it looks. It just looks really busy and kind of just complicated, but I found the, the flow of the game to be uh, fairly straightforward, actually. Um, I, I had a lot of fun with it, so I'm, I'm looking forward to play it again. Uh, you did not play this one, but have you looked at it at all? No, not really. Actually, I was, uh, to be honest, like the initial my uh, the initial view of the game was like really scary because there's just a lot of weird icons and a lot of weird tokens and a lot of weird stuff. But uh, maybe, like you say, the mechanisms are not that bad. I also wasn't like maybe paying attention to the explanation as much. Um, the funny thing about this designer is actually he's designed quite a few games which are only published in Spanish and there's one that's called Kingdom Defenders which it actually looks really cool which was his previous games previous game sorry previous game uh, just kidding not previous game apparently like his first game but that game has never been published in English apparently which is really crazy so I wonder if it will someday but actually, uh, I'm kind of warming up to the idea of trying it. How long did it take you also? Because uh, it says 120 minutes. Was it really that long? Uh, so we played a three-player game, and I would say it took us around two hours. Yeah, so kind of longer at least. But uh, yeah. no, actually... Uh, like I was just was cousin wasn't sure what to really make of this game. Um, also published by Devere, which is really strange. They've published some really weird games, uh, but actually a lot of them I like. So yeah, I'll I'll try it someday. Um, I you really can't really tell what's going on with uh, these kind of games when there's a board like that because there's just a lot of stuff that's it, yeah on the I, on there. <laughs> I will say that the, trying it the board is busy <laughs> and so much so that I 
every single round of the game forgot that one of the five regions of the board existed <laughs> because wow. because it was offset from the other four. So there's four regions that are on the river that runs through the board, and so you kind of see those placements at, at all times. There's another place that's in the center of the board, but it's offset kind of higher than the rest. Um, and that area contributes to changing player order. That's another thing I really like about this game is that it has true variable player order. Um, and I would get to the end of every round and, you know, just what I was trying to do that round didn't lead me to that fifth region. And then I would at the end of the round go, oh yeah, that, that part of the board exists and I completely forgot about it. And then I would consistently forget about it. And I still did well with the game. So I don't know that it was necessary to go there, but that going there, it's basically you're choosing player order depending on how high your placement spot is, but you're not just taking first player. You're also getting a benefit depending on which spot you select. So I, I liked that this game also had variable player order and it was a definitely positive point for me. Yeah, actually looking at the designer, I'm kind of interested in what this guy has done or will do in the future because his games are pretty well reviewed, I think, in general and kind of new designer, maybe up and coming. He's got a hard Euro game and a family Euro game under development by his own like word on his BG profile, which is kind of funny, Sabika and Bamboo. So yeah i'd I'd be interested to try some of his other stuff because i thought that this was a solid design yeah yeah um also he's done something called 30 monedas which is an hbo show again only spanish so i think it's like maybe his first game published in in english actually which is crazy uh there's also something called orb hunters that he's previously done i think but anyway Yep, that's like dual yep. dual language. But anyway, yeah, I'll definitely also I was I think at that time I wasn't super excited to like learn a really complicated game. I think we had just played something else and I wanted to play something just kind of dumber. So I left you guys to play a two hour complicated colorful <laughs> we, game. Uh, we had just come out of Cape May, so maybe you oh, were where I was less just interested. Kind of depressed about <laughs> the roll and move re implementations. Yeah, exactly. Oh, speaking of which, um, I played a couple of really fun games, just really quick uh, party games, uh, which were kind of a positive surprise. Uh, one of them was So Clover. Um, so Clover is a sequel to Just One, kind of, not the same designer, but the same publisher. And even the rulebook has like similar design or whatever the like so you can tell that it's kind of the same publisher and almost, almost like the same components as well with plastic boards and stuff uh same box format and stuff uh but that game sounded so dumb that i didn't want to play it at all well I, but I, I should say that's kind of the case with a lot of party games though like a lot of party games have like terrible names in my opinion even if they're good uh, so eventually someone convinced me to play it and I really liked it actually. You and haven't bought it yet, right? No, I actually don't know. <laughs> the funny thing is I have even bought it and, uh, like two other people bought it. So there's like three copies now, which is Not hilarious. even Witchstone was that good. Yeah. Not even <laughs> Witchstone was that good. Apparently. No, I, I was going to a place where we were going to have six players and that's a really cool game to play with six players because it's uh, easy, but it's a word association games. It's kind of like code names or or whatever that that type of game uh you're dealt four cards and they're like square cards so you're trying to connect words t 
two words in the square with another word. And then you just dump the cards on the table, shuffle them, add a random card, and the other players try to reassemble your board. Uh, so the cool thing about it is uh, most word association games are okay. You just try to connect words. The cool thing with this one is you can kind of move the cards around and there's like a, sp a little spatial puzzle where if you connect the cards really well somewhere, they can really help with like the arrangement of the cards and narrow down options. So it's almost like a crossword puzzle in a logical way, if that makes sense. Uh, but it's a co-op game. It's just ridiculously simple. Uh, if you see it, definitely give it a try, especially if you like word association games. I had a lot of fun with it. And like I say, like we've played it actually three times now in random places. It's because it's so easy to play. Um, and not much of a game. Like I said, it's cooperative and you just get a score like just one. Just one's the same way. You just get a score at the end of how cool your group was or whatever. So like if you're looking for uh, being personally awesome, that's not the right game. <laughs> Um, also, another game very similar to this, Mystic Paths. I think that one is a little bit less interesting, but a very similar game, word association. You're trying to... Uh, you start on a board and you have miniatures, which is absolutely hilarious because like, it's a freaking word association game. But there's these like 3D miniatures and stuff, even with bases. Um, and you leave the base behind, which is really awkward. Like There's some really questionable design choices with that one but mystic paths um but uh you the the board has words and unlike so clover where you write the, down the words yourself like you're trying to come up with a clever word that connects them uh, mystic Paths actually deals you cards with words on them which you can choose there's two options per card so you can like flip the cards around and make some choices and you also can do not tokens so for example you might have like statue of liberty and if you have short, you can do like short with a not token. So like not short. So it's like tall, basically. Uh, so you can do stuff like that. But uh, basically, you're trying to get the other people to guess the words so that you can move along your path. That's why it's called mystic paths, because the other people don't know the path that you're moving on. And... You're trying to get them to guess it step by step. There's 10 steps. You play five rounds, so like two words per round average. If you guess it more quickly, you can kind of move faster and stuff. But basically, it's that type of game. Uh, the criticisms of that game is it feels a little bit dumber in some ways because unlike So Clover, where you're super clover, <laughs> clever, um, <laughs> by writing the word yourself and you feel like you're awesome if you come up with an awesome clue, even though you, your words might be like weirdly completely unrelated. Uh, sometimes the struggle in Mystic Paths is that you have terrible cards and you have to use them because you only get four cards and you have to use three of them. So the connections are kind of remote <laughs> with the words that you're trying to clues that you're trying to give. And I think that's a struggle there is like which one is the least horrible clue that connects to the word that I'm trying to get the people to guess. Also, I'd say in Mystic Pass, there's a lot of discussion, a lot of downtime. There's a couple of variants, actually, that speed that up, which uh, we were talking about maybe trying next time. Uh, there's a variant where you can work with just the person on your left so like they're the guesser for you and that's for the whole table so unlike the whole table discussing stuff and it taking forever like five rounds times six people and 
like two minute discussion for every person uh the game should move a lot faster um because only one person is trying to guess your path so i, I think that's m more appropriate because the it's like a silly code names type game and it takes like an hour i think if you do it properly with like five five or six people uh, not properly but by the not variant rules uh but overall i actually like it still quite a bit i think it's a pretty fun game um i, I like so clover just a little bit more i think uh, it's kind of more fun um also because i like i said it, it feels like you're being more creative by writing the word yourself rather than the game feeding you bad cards <laughs> effectively um so yeah but uh, both games kind of very similar word association games i like them surprisingly so trevor played none of them and you haven't even played so clover yet right no i'm not clover not not so clover yet <laughs> no but they sound fun I, i'll give them a shot yeah um, i don't know if you'll get to mystic path because only one person has it um but that will definitely bring bring some bring so clover um i think you're gonna like it quite a bit because it's just fun so it's clover yeah it's clover <laughs> no you have to get over the the horrible name it's uh it's a good game so yep nice so clover plus mythic pets well speak speaking of uh so clover games the next game i played was cascadia uh yeah. Risto's gonna say not so clover <laughs> not, not that clover in not my opinion. that clover uh so this is a game uh designed by i think randy flynn i was just checking to see what else he's done uh, there's some uh, Kickstarter that's associating Cascadia, Verdant, and uh, Calico, I think, for some reason. So I don't know how they're related, but yeah, I'm maybe not they sure. Are related. Um, but anyway, Cascadia is just a simple drafting slash tile laying game. The whole game is you pull a combination of an animal disc and the uh, tile associated with that animal disc, which is just determined randomly by drawing tiles and putting animals next to them. And then you draft those the, that combination of a disc and the hex, and then you put the terrain hex in front of you to kind of build your terrain, and then you try to place animals in patterns that they score uh, depending on the cards that are selected for the game. So, for example, the bear card we had was that bears like to mate uh, I know this is a family co podcast, but uh, cover your ears, kids. Uh, the bears are mating, so you want two bears next to each other and then no other bears around them. And then, it, depending on how many sets of mating bears you have, I guess they score more points. And, like, fish want to be in a connected line of, of adjacent fish. Uh, and then, like, for some reason, the elk want to be in a straight line. Uh, eagles like to be alone with no other eagles around them. So anyway, you just get to the end of the game, score all your animals, and I guess you can also pick up pine cones along the way if you draft the, the right tiles, and pine cones either count for points at the end or let you cheat by wiping the animals and kind of resetting that or by picking a tile and an animal that are not next to each other. So um, anyway... I didn't find the game particularly offensive or compelling. It was just kind of, uh, I don't know. I think it was just kind of vanilla. So I didn't hate the game, but I also am 
kind of puzzled as to why it is as popular <laughs> as it, Get it yeah i'm puzzled as to why it is as popular as it is right now um i thought it was just fine did it make you feel set collected <laughs> just kidding no, that's a pretty, pretty bad joke um <laughs> No, I found actually the Kickstarter. It's a Flat Out Games collab trilogy. Calico, Cascadia, and Verdant. Uh, why? Because they're published by the same publisher. Different designers, I think, completely, yes, completely different designers. Actually, Calico and Verdant have some of the same designers, which is weird. But they're published by the same publisher. Uh, speaking of Calico, actually, um, I feel like Cascadia is does the, a lot of the things that Calico does. Um, I'm not going to talk about Calico. I think we've actually talked about it before, maybe. But uh, very, very similar game. Um, you're kind of picking... It forces you to pick things that are like paired together. In Calico, it's a pattern plus a color. In this game, it's an animal plus a land type. And to me, Cascadia, like Trevor was saying, is just like not compelling for some reason. Like, I don't know if I was just not in the mood to play that type of game or something, but it just felt like super basic, if that makes sense. Um, also, I feel like at least they should have let you like suffer or something with the pine cones and not let you cheat. I felt like the pine cones were just kind of unnecessary. Um, I don't know why they even had the pine cones. I feel like they should have like I say, just like made the choice painful because I think actually that's what makes Calico better is like there's no pine cones. So um, you have a choice <laughs> of tiles, but like... Cats don't like pine cones. <laughs> basically, you have to suffer the consequences of what the market offers you. So if, if you don't like it, well, too bad. You get what's there and you just deal with it. And that actually makes for a better game in my opinion because in Cascadia it felt like some basically what happened a lot of the time was like we were just waiting for like a bear to appear because all three of us needed a bear or something so like the first bear that appears everyone's just like because the person that gets it is obviously just gonna get it <laughs> so like i don't know uh maybe that was just like a group thing with the way we played or something but um there were just oh no, bears bears are popular i played it a second time with a different group and we also wanted bears yeah so. no, I, also the cool thing i guess is like um there are different options for how bear score so like in the intro game or whatever there's four options for bears i think i looked at the rules and you can replace the card condition with a different condition so maybe it changes the game and the feel of the game or something but Still, just like, I don't know, to, to me, it's just kind of like, I'd rather play Calico. A lot of, I think someone like Shop and Sit Down or something, they said like, uh, as like, it kills Calico, it's a better game than Calico. In my opinion, that's not the case. I like Calico a lot better, even with its downfalls, and sometimes you get locked into unfortunate situations. But I think, like I say, that makes for a better game. Um, so, yes, Calico, no Cascadia, in my opinion. Also, the yeah. scoring was like incredibly painful in Cascadia. I don't know why, but having to ca calculate the sets took us like 10 minutes. And for how silly the game was, I feel like it was just kind of who cares at that point. Yeah, it, it's fine. I would play it again. Like, I, I don't think it's a terrible game. It's just I, it's not one I'm itching to do again. Also, I think it's it's kind of inoffensive to be honest. Maybe I was I just went in probably expecting way more game than I received. Maybe that's the biggest downfall for me for Cascadia. Yeah, well, I think that 
the thing that hurt Cascadia probably is that it is getting a ton of buzz and like people are just raving about it. And I just went in and maybe, maybe I was just expecting more. Yeah. Maybe I was expecting more like for it to be cooler than it was, but it was just very <laughs> simple. And, and to, you know, to its credit, it is a very streamlined game that plays quickly. So if that's what you're looking for, I mean, it's not a bad game. It's just, I was kind of underwhelmed. Yeah, it, uh, I think my overall feeling was like there's kind of better market selection games, uh, maybe even something like silly like Majesty for the Realm or something. Uh, and there's better tallying games, uh, maybe even, I don't know, whatever. Just kind of other games, since the combination to me wasn't particularly compelling. Um, it's just kind of, who cares? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's better games in the category is is what it comes down to. Maybe the combination's unique in some ways, like the particular way that they're combining tiling with animals and set collection on top of the tiles, but it's it's fine. Yeah, I I think a big pull of the game too is that it looks good. Like it's just a very appealing looking game. I think the artist is Beth Sobel, who uh, has done quite a few projects lately. You know, she did yeah. Wingspan and Viticulture, Calico, Arboretum. She's done a yep. lot of games that just kind of look appealing. Yeah. Um, like I say, definitely give it a try if you're interested. And if someone has it, I still like Calico better. Anyway. Uh, all right. So let's just talk about this as well. Legacies. Yeah, oh, my, no. My favorite game. <laughs> um so, Legacies is a game that I was looking at on Kickstarter. Um, just very, very confusing experience with this one. I expected it to be really good, actually. Just kind of overall, like really clever, really good. I didn't look into in, in depth into what it is. Uh, other than the Kickstarter, the big, big, big pool and catch line or whatever of the game as you live multiple lives over the centuries as multiple personalities or whatever like successors i guess is what technically they're called and uh you kind of build a legacy not like legacy like legacy games where you tear up cards but like a legacy of multiple generations of successors that have achieved some kind of wealth or fame or something so yeah uh so what is the game you're trying to get like money i think generally it's pretty much the whole game revolves around money i think there's fame involved but is there yeah there is just kidding (laughs) no it is about fame but money turns into fame because you can invest it in your uh what is it not uh your endowment something like the fund funds foundation foundation Foundation. yeah uh because money does translate into into points if you invest it in your foundation foundation like the foundation of like trust funds or something that's you inherit for three your generations uh so it's a Kickstarter game, which was published by Jason Brooks, Brook Spawn Games, his own publisher. And in my opinion, it's unfortunately overall very kind of clunky and not streamlined as I was hoping, or not so like clever, not not just kind of not cleaned up in some ways. 
Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in the game, so I'm not really going to go into it. But basically, there's a board with like personalities that you are, and you can be friends with people, and you can influence these industries. So there's like some weird shares game mixed in there. Why? I don't know why. But for example, like if you're like a politician, you might control the law industry or something or whatever. I don't know what the heck. So you, people can invest in your industry. People can make investments in there. Actually, like kind of do dividends over the course of the game of your investments and also cash out investments and it affects like the market of investments um there's a bunch of systems in the game that interlock with each other there's this also like engine building with uh, for some reason heirlooms so you can build your own heirlooms with materials or you can buy other people's heirlooms with materials um, and also paying them maybe something if you're friendly with them or maybe nothing if you're not friendly with them so there's a lot a lot of just literally really strange systems in this game um overall the game kind of goes like this you get cards in and there's also these global actions so on your turn you can play cards and at the beginning of the round you can only play cards but after you've played two cards you can actually do a global action as well so the global actions basically they're global because they affect everyone the cards affect mostly you so the cards are something like you get stuff or you become friends with someone or you invest in some industry or whatever so you do something that's personally related to you maybe one other person <laughs> speaking of uh, yeah we will get there the global actions are something global happens like everyone's friendships pay out like their benefits or something or some industry like all the industries in the sector cash out dividends basically something happens to everyone uh and you just do the action oh and the, for, for for selecting it you get a slightly better effect kind of like puerto rico or a race for the galaxy or those types of games where like the selecting person gets slightly a benefit uh we played this for like what two and a half hours and even that felt just kind of really long definitely a long game and even that i think we were trying to like rush it <laughs> so that, that so people are like deliberately trying to rush it so that it ends quicker i think which was yes uh, that, that was happening <laughs> but yes kind of a very lengthy game um for sure and uh i don't know like i say i don't know how to describe this because like justine was saying actually they really tried like he really tried um to make a cool interconnected game with lots of cool stuff happening but what ended up happening in my opinion is very kind of a little bit disjointed a little bit like i say unpolished there's just some things that are not intuitive and uh, yeah we kind of got it towards the end we started playing faster and everyone everything kind of slightly clicked but it's a very kind of slow burn game. Some things just don't really pan out very well. Like there's this market of things going up and down and you move it maybe like five times per game or something. So what the heck are you really doing there? You know, there's not a lot of market activity happening because for every market action, you have to play a card and cards are precious. And um, just a, kind of a lot of promise and not so much delivery, in my opinion, on this game as far as just polish, finish, uh, just kind of a coolness in general. Uh, my expectations were also pretty high. I think at once uh, it didn't win. Actually, I looked it up. It uh, was top five of Stonemaier game design contest, I think. So it was in uh, like Stonemaier's... Um, just game competition for 2018 and 19 two years uh the the 
the designer was also advertising that it was tested like hundreds of times throughout conventions and stuff and i'm sure it was but still i don't know um <laughs> play tested but never edited <laughs> play, play tested but never edited no maybe changes were made but not to the overall structure of the game i just feel like the game needed like kind of some some kind of development if if that makes sense anyway trevor was in this wonderful experience as well so he can also maybe talk about it while i collect my thoughts about what the heck <laughs> that was it's uh, it's uh funny that you say that and you describe that that this way because even after having played it, I I still just don't understand the whole the f- what the flow and purpose of the game is supposed to be because there's there's a lot of different ideas that don't necessarily sync with each other, and so the game kind of feels like it's just a a lot of mechanisms held together by duct tape. Um. And it's it doesn't feel streamlined, like you said. It, it feels clunky. Um, it had promise of something that sounded cool, but the execution, unfortunately, just kind of didn't get there. Um, it, like the way your description was is exactly how it feels to play the game. Is you just feel kind of scatterbrained when you're playing it, in in my opinion. I think the idea was to have like an open-ended game so like you can do anything you can actually invest in like social relationships and get heirlooms from other people or, or you can play the stock market if you don't want social stuff but it just feels I don't know it doesn't feel like there's like a satisfying conclusion to the game as well for some reason it just kind of feels like oh it ended cool yeah, yeah well- well, and part of that is it's hard to have such an open-ended game when your action selection is determined based on a random card draw because the types of things you can do are determined by the cards that are available to you. So if, and this happened to me a couple times in the game, I was trying to do something but did not have the cards to do it. So I just had to do something else, which for a game of that length didn't feel great, I guess. And I don't mind that concept so much in other games, but for some reason in this game, it just felt a little frustrating and made the game feel a little more random, I guess. Um, And then... Like some of the some elements of the game just kind of like didn't make sense. Like I, I ultimately was going for kind of a an investing in the shares type game, which worked decently yeah, you, well. You also have an asymmetric ability, and I was gonna say your ability was to like uh, yes. relate it to the market or something. Mine was actually acquiring heirlooms, and yeah, I acquired a bunch of heirlooms uh, yeah. cheaper. Yeah, so I I played that game, but the return on investment for helping other people's shares go up in value was not all that compelling. So I didn't find that particular component of the games particularly interesting in, in that one play. Now, maybe, maybe, you know, in the hundreds of plays that people have found better ways to play the game and had more fun with that aspect of the game. But I was, I specifically remember at the beginning of the game calling out, why would I want to invest in that? Because your payout's better than me and I'm putting more money into it <laughs> than you are, you yeah. know? 
So I no, don't know. The, the, the idea is like, like I say, share. It's like you're helping someone else, but the, maybe they help you and everyone helps each other. And I think that entire idea doesn't really pan out like it does in like 18xx games or something, which is, I think, what it's trying to do. Like yeah. multiple people investing in the same company and pushing it together and helping each other. There's just not like enough time for some reason for that to pan out the way it was probably intended, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and in an 18xx game, I haven't played too many of them, but the ones that I have played, or at least that imitate 18xx games, is that generally people are incentivized to play the shares game in some form or another. But I think we went basically the whole game and only two of us really invested in that shares game. So it was kind of like I was playing it alone, you know, which didn't... didn't yeah. I don't know. It, just, it didn't feel compelling, even if it technically kind of worked i guess and i guess the most hilarious thing actually in the game is um take that stuff there's some pretty hilarious like take that effects which actually i feel like get more significant oh over the course of the game <laughs> yeah so like the game uh, in general the game uh, which also sounded cool but in practice i don't know how cool it is is like it starts small so there's inflation every uh century and you play three centuries so every two big rounds like uh basically the round ends when there's two global actions or whatever like depending on player count actually three and hours anyway complicated century end but uh basically the game is six big rounds so to speak and every two big rounds a century changes so when the century changes the whole board just gets larger so you overlay the entire board including the shares with like larger numbers for everything so uh, the numbers just get larger and larger and unfortunately also you replace the deck of the cards that you play with and uh, what we found out and maybe that's just our experience I don't know but there's a lot of like really trolly take that effects for example I had a successor who was like um basically you either i think yeah you steal everyone's foundation like half of their foundation or something and that's like at the end of the second century is when i uh, played that guy so <laughs> like it's like massive point swings in the third century there were a lot of cards of uh just kind of like pay 50 gold to like steal 10 points from people and just like what uh, yeah. basically like straight take that effects they're not even uh like disguised or something or through some mechanic is just kind of like it's like pay. what your family just like bank robbed the rest of yeah. us. It's like pay 50 to steal 10 points. Like, all right, cool. Yep. So if I have 50, I can steal just 10 points from someone. Um, I don't know if it's designed to like stop runaway leaders or something, but it just kind of, in my opinion, kind of cheapens the game and is definitely kind of not what I was expecting from the game. I was a little bit concerned that we didn't even play that version of the game, but I was concerned that there's like, uh, you can play... Uh, what is it? The, the, the upside or the downside or something of your character. So you can flip your character board and it's encouraged the first game to play the upside or whatever, the positive side, which gives you a positive uh, special ability. Uh, or you can also play the underside and the other side is a take that special <laughs> ability, which we didn't play with. But I'm guessing that would make the game even more like just full of take that and that, that's just kind of not what i was expecting from the game so it's almost kind of shocking that not only did they appear more frequently i think in the later ages or whatever later centuries but uh the, the effects were like stronger uh for the take that stuff and it just towards the end of the game you're just 
there's just kind of chaotic stuff happening and because of the take that you just kind of stop caring about what you're really doing so i think it takes away from like whatever strategy we're trying to keep together because someone just comes and steals like 10 points from your half of your foundation and you're just like what the heck is happening so i don't know uh definitely not what i was expecting overall uh, of this game unfortunately i had pretty high expectations i read the rule book twice so like i was kind of a disappointment for me at least i guess i'm glad i didn't do the kickstarter on this one because to me it was just a disappointment um I'm, i looked at the reviews and actually surprisingly a lot of people like it for some reason um i just i just kind of don't think it's good um at this point i hope the next game that he makes is good because like i say i think he was really like trying to make a cool interconnected game i in my opinion just not not great also we played with four uh you can play up to six which would be just insane because i think our game was like two and a half hours maybe three uh with six it'd be like exponentially larger and if someone was actually trying to think about their turns we we're going really fast i can see this game just exploding and it's in my opinion it's not worth playing a game like this for like three plus hours that's just craziness so yeah, legacies sadly yep not so legacy for us <laughs> yeah i don't know if you have anything else to say or you just rather forget about this experience that it's ever happened yeah well we'll we'll just lay that game to rest <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the funny thing is like i think no one really in our group liked it i think some people actually actively like disliked it or hated it or something uh so very, i'm i'm surprised like i'm kind of surprised that people actually do like this game um with i don't know if it's like the kickstarter like uh, it must be good because i invested in the kickstarter and it looked really good but just <laughs> I just have no. to like it because I, I have to it. like it because i bought it kind of syndrome <laughs> yeah. i'm i'm not sure I'm, I'm very confused about this game this is just like a very confusing why is this a thing <laughs> experience yeah. out of SaltCon I mean, this year. To to put a cap on it, I have described this game as it's the equivalent of a book that somebody just wrote stream of consciousness and then a an editor never even touched it before it was published. That's yeah, that's yeah. kind of what it felt like to yeah. me. I kind of agree. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the next game I played was Founders of Teotihuacan. Uh, we so Board and Dice, the publisher, was at SaltCon and had an advanced copy of this game because it's not out yet. Super exclusive take here, everybody. Uh, so this is uh, designed by Philippe Glovatz, or I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, but he's uh, I think it's Polish. Polish Glovatz. Glovatz. Uh, so he has designed games like Mandala Stones, uh, Beer Empire, Dice Brewing. Uh, he's bas- he's at Board and Dice, one of their game developers, designers. Uh, so this is set in the same theme as Teotihuacan, but it is entirely a different game. This is a kind of tile-laying city building game. And the way this game plays out is uh, each player has a personal board in front of them that represents the city of Teotihuacan. And you have an architect that on each turn cycles to a different side of the board. And uh, depending on the position of your architect person, you can only build in 
the half of the board on which your architect is lo located. And there are four different quadrants of the board that uh, you're trying to like get colors to match temples and like do multiplication scoring. So it's, it's a, a spatial puzzle type game. The action selection mechanism is, is really fun for this. So there's like ways to build resource buildings. There's ways to build temples and then there's ways to like build uh, buildings that score off your temples. And uh, what you're doing is you're using uh, action selection discs and placing them on a central board. And the size of the stack of discs on which you place your disc determines the power of that action. So if I place uh, my disc on top of... Uh, two discs that are there before, then I have a power three action, which means I could like build a power, a level three building, which means it covers three squares or, and so on. So, uh, that part of the game is really cool. You, uh, you select the power of your action by kind of building on top of other people, the incentive to go on a new space. Cause I think each, each of the three sections on the board where you can select an action have, uh, they have bonus tiles at the bottom so if you're the first person to that spot you also get an additional action which can sometimes be really really crucial but if you go on a spot that somebody else has gone before you don't get that special action but you do get a more powerful version of the action corresponding to that area um, and so you just try to uh, fill your board up in a way where you're You've got colors in quadrants that are scoring with colors, the same temple of that color in the same quadrant to do multiplication scoring and just end the game with the most points. Uh, one thing I will say about this is the resource generation is actually really cool. So when you build a building that generates resources, I think the only resources in this game are wood, stone, and gold. The way you produce resources is you build a, a building in your uh, on your city mat and then each empty space around the building, you put a cube of that building's resource type. So basically, all of your resources are being generated on the city map in front of you. And then you spend resources from your city map as well. So you're trying to like place buildings in spots where they generate a lot of resources. But then you also want to keep in mind, like, is, is that placement going to mess up where you're trying to put larger uh, like point scoring buildings later, and then you have to sort of manage the resources and you can squish your resources by building buildings on top of them. And so you can kind of get where this is going. It's just, it's all a spatial puzzle and resource management. And it's, I found it to be a lot of fun. Uh, you have to kind of time things right for when your architect is going to be on the side of the board that you want to build on. It happened to me several times where, uh, I w was trying to build a building and I could not build it where I wanted to build it because my architect was not on the right spot. Um, and I got caught cheating a couple times, but don't, <laughs> don't tell anybody. Uh, no, it was funny. Actually, uh, Rainer who's, who works at board and dice w taught us the game and he caught me cheating a couple times, uh, just cause I kept forgetting about my architect. But anyway, this was a really cool game. Uh, I have pre-ordered a copy and am excited for it to come out. It was really kind of a nice surprise to see that they had a copy of it at the con to try it out. And I don't think you've probably even looked at this one yet. Is that right? 
Uh, no, I have PTSD from anything called Teotihuacan, but actually this looks like a much lighter game than I was expecting. Like, a lot lighter game than I was expecting. This looks some kind of like a patchwork stuff type game with Tetris pieces and some yeah. light resource management, um, if I'm gathering this correctly. Yeah, I would say this, this kind of fits into a medium category that you'd like, and I will say, though, that the game packs a it's a lot of you get a good amount of game for the time that you play it so it's not a super long play time but you feel like you've done a lot by yeah, the time you play that it. sounds good um i have reservations about the diviner <laughs> unfortunately because i don't know about his previous games i wasn't super huge fan of mandala stones i think it's fine but just kind of whatever but i will definitely check this out actually like i say i expected this to by the name of it it's uh maybe like a combination of founders of gloomhaven syndrome as well as expecting this to be like super ridiculously complicated long game um so i think i would like to try this maybe sooner rather than later actually in yeah, particular actually, i talked to rainer a little bit about uh whether founders of gloomhaven had influenced the name of this at all and ultimately what it came down to is he said this is just the name that felt right and it's an unfortunate you know link that people are making to founders of gloomhaven which was not yeah, quite I, as popular and was a lot heavier i actually think that might even like hurt their sales to be honest because it definitely reminds me of founders of gloomhaven and people might make that association of like this is a euro that i would not like <laughs> or something so i don't know that that's a weird one but it happens i guess yeah but i would say that this is definitely a step up from a game like mandala stones yeah, yeah, um, yeah. mandala stones it, is pretty it, like light game yeah no this this was a great game i i really liked this one yeah i'll check it out well brian boru uh, his next game that I want to talk about, uh, we played by Brian Boru finally, uh, after trying to chase down the copy and someone finally checked it in. So I got it. I did not really know what to expect from this game. Actually, another game where I expected it to be way more complicated than it is. Um, it's by the designer of The King is Dead, Pierre Sylvester. And it does feel kind of like The King is Dead, uh, except The King is Dead, you play like cards and it's a more minimalistic game, I guess. This one has a little bit more kind of gameplay. But you um, kind of have a map of Ireland, I guess it is, because Hiking of Ireland is the subtitle. And you play something like a trick-taking game. I'm saying something like because it's not exactly like a trick-taking game. Uh, to win, it's like a, there's a leader or whatever of the trick and the leader of who selects what city we're fighting for thematically. So we play cards and to win the city, you have to match the color. So that's the trick taking part of it. However, there's wild cards, uh, which you can play as any color. So that makes it easier. Um, but there's a deck with from one to 25 and we deal it out every round and there's some uh, drafting procedure. 
And yeah, uh, the thing is, if you lose the trick, you still do an action, which is not take the city, it's just something else. And there's a bunch of kind of tracks to go up on. Uh, there's like a marriage thing and there's a churchy thing where you can kind of improve your control. The marriage thing is kind of like get some money or actions, which you can do better actions with. There's also a, an invasion, a Viking invasion, where you're trying to protect or get these tokens. And if it's like a kind of like a Catan cities and knights thing, actually, it's kind of funny. Uh, if you contributed the least to protecting the land, the Vikings invade you. <laughs> so the player with the the player who protected the most gets to select which city the Vikings invade. In our game, that was just me. <laughs> yeah, basically, it was always Trevor. Uh, and there's like a majority of being in a lot in the same area and being in different areas at the end of the game. So kind of like a set collection. I don't know if it's really set collection. It's just like a be either win an area or be present in a lot of places type scoring. And you just get a score at the end. Uh, whoever has the most points from owning territories or being in different places or being highly married <laughs> uh, wins the game ultimately. Uh, strategically, I think my play of this game was pretty freaking horrible. Then also bad things happened to me, but I thought it was actually a pretty cool game overall. I think it has potential. Uh, like I say, I expected it to be some kind of more complicated game overall. I don't know why, probably because it looks like a more serious air control, but it's basically, a pretty straightforward uh, like play cards do action type game and the actions are pretty easy to understand um some of the strategy is not necessarily easy to understand especially like the actions that you fall back on uh so that's the improvement in future games of like the king is dead you should push just enough to win by like one which is kind of how he likes designing games um i think in general and like the king is dead, it can also be very swingy and very trolly because one action might completely wreck your life. <laughs> so that's uh, kind of Brian Boro, yeah. Um, I liked it overall. I would uh, play it again. It's actually also pretty quick to play. Um, I think it's a pretty good combo of trick-taking-like gameplay plus um, the minimalistic area control stuff that he likes to do. What did you think about it, Trevor? You were also in the game. Yeah, I was um, pleasantly surprised by this one, I would say, because I went in kind of expecting not to like it because trick-taking mixed with area control just kind of, in my mind, was going to be random and confrontational, <laughs> which didn't it sound... kind of is random and confrontational, <laughs> Yeah, actually. it is, well, but, kind but of. the, the trick-taking part of it wasn't quite as bad as I was expecting, because although it is based off a random card draw, you do have the chance to draft cards. Uh, key point there, pay attention to what the symbols are, because I thought I never saw a card that got rid of those Vikings, but apparently I gave it to Risto. So, yeah, then uh, I passed it to, again because I didn't have yeah, a Viking infested I was the city. only one with Vikings, so nobody else cared about that card except for me, and I didn't realize I had it. So... Um, anyway, so you do draft the card so you can kind of build the hand that should be able to do something that you're wanting to do that round. So I think that that helped mitigate the the the, uh, the luck on that front. And then also, I 
it, it made me kind of think of Furnace where, you know, you're investing in the trick or the bid or whatever it is. But if you don't win, you still get like an action to do, or maybe you even want to do the action and not win the trick. So I liked that. And, and like you said, maybe that's not so much trick taking as it is action selection. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't love the game, but it, I also didn't find it offensive I, and I'd play it again. So I guess that's a success for me on a trick taking game. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was decent. Well, you're wrong. It's very offensive. You you attack people all the time. <laughs> yeah, kidding. but then but then you make up for it by forcing them to marry you. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Automatically, you're marrying like uh, princesses from other places. I, just kidding. No, that's not true. Only the final one is the princess of Denmark, which I actually thought is kind of funny because the game is, uh, I guess, localized to Germany and it has a separate card, particularly for that final princess of Denmark. Um, actually, I think also the card is like the princess of Germany or something. So maybe like a nod to Germans or whatever. I don't know. But uh, it has to do with the localization of the game, I think, as well, because the cards are all icons except that one. So they had a specifically separate card that you play in the German version of the game. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was so it was good. It's uh, not like super noteworthy entry of... It's not going to break the world of air controls and explode everything and be like remembered in 50 years. But I thought it's a pretty cool game. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I almost think that this one's going to be kind of a flash in the pan. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it'll be popular for a little bit and then it might have a core of people that really like it, but it might just kind of disappear after that. Yep. Yeah, I think also similar to The King is Dead, like a lot of people don't really care or want to play The King is Dead necessarily, but I think it's pretty cool. Um, very, very similar feeling, I think. Not particularly noteworthy, very minimalistic, but it's scenario control. All right. Well, the next game I played was Paris specifically. Uh, this is the uh, Kramer Kiesling Paris specifically with the L'Etoile uh, expansion. So uh, we've talked about Paris on the show before, but uh, basically what the expansion adds is more of those tiles that you put on the outside track that kind of do some interesting things. And then I feel think the most significant addition is the addition of um, player abilities, but it's not asymmetric player abilities that stick with you for the whole game unless you want it to be, because the way it works is it actually incentivizes you to interact with the Arc de Triomphe in the middle of the board, because uh, there's like, I think, a selection of somewhere around 12 player ability tiles and you can exchange them with the public market of player ability tiles by going to the Arc de Triomphe in the middle. And some of the tiles actually make uh, it better to go to the Arc de Triomphe. Like some uh, one tile I think gives you money every time anybody goes to the to the to the middle spot, the arc. <laughs> so that makes uh, sure that even less people want to go there. <laughs> yeah, but or well, except that there are, I mean, there are uh, other abilities that allow you to do stuff from the Arc de Triomphe. But anyway, there there are abilities that allow you to uh, 
actually use that middle spot. And actually the player who won the game used the middle quite a bit. So I think that there was something to going to the middle to exchange your power to get the tile that fits the fits your upcoming turn. Like some of the tiles like lets you ignore the rule that only one key can be on each building and another tile lets you have more than one key in the bank of a of a particular area so you can like stack your keys a little bit and get more money anyway so there's a lot of these player powers just kind of uh allow players to manipulate or break rules to uh be a little more opportunistic i guess during the game i thought it was a good addition it didn't drastically increase or decrease my opinion of the game but i think that i would probably just play the game with the expansion uh, every time. So, uh, not not a super huge splash, but I think it, it it added something interesting to an already pretty good game. Yeah, I almost saw that as like I remember you you talking about it now, and I almost see that as like a patch because I think the middle was not attractive enough in the base game. Yeah. So I think they basically introduced those things so that they do make it attractive, and it sounds like it actually worked because it's not worth it to go to the middle. So yeah. I think that's really good, actually. So yeah, that's I, I think this better. expansion is a patch. That's a good way to a good way to describe it. But yeah, it's uh, I I like Paris. I just again maybe when I was playing something else or I wasn't in the mood, but I would play it again, and I'm interested in playing it in the future. So yeah, all right. Now we're going to the uh, kind of the trashier games. Just kidding. The games that I like kind of thought were okay. Um, first one is milestones uh milestones there's actually two games called milestones and for some reason one of them's getting like highlighted and it's some kind of silly card game from 21 but this is not the milestones you're looking for you're looking for the 2012 milestones by stefan dora um this game i've been wanting to play for years it's one the one that was on my list of uh, crusty games that I never got to play, even though it's 2012, it feels like it should be like 2005 or something, just because it just kind of looks old, in my opinion, and also it has the weird mechanic of, like, the black roads thing that was popular in area enclosures in the mid-2000s, which is actually why I was interested in the game, because like area enclosure type stuff, like... Uh I don't know. I don't have any titles off the top of my head, but just really old games use that mechanic. Um, we only played it two players. I would like to play it with more players, actually, because with two it was okay, but I think I'd like it to see what it is at three and four. It's a weird game, yeah. Uh, you're doing like a personal rondel thing on your board, and it's a very simple rondel. Uh, by the way, it's also a very simple game, kind of like a, I'd say, like a family game. But your personal rondel is a bunch of workers on top where you collect resources. There's a clever thing where you like pass over workers and you stop on the latest one and then you get those resources, but you might have to skip some other ones. So it's almost like you're filtering resources every turn. Um, and then after you've collected resources, you spend those resources and then the king taxes you every single time, which actually was kind of harsh, but I didn't mind it. So you're like constantly, first of all, being checked how many resources you have. So you better like kind of get the resources that you're going to spend. Otherwise, you're just going to lose them. And the harshest thing is probably like every worker, uh, well, not every worker, one worker gets removed every single rotation of your rondelle. 
So people are just constantly, I guess, leaving <laughs> or something like they're dying or I don't know what it's simulating. Uh, so basically one of the actions is to recruit and I feel like you should basically do that action every single <laughs> rotation of the rondelle one way or another because otherwise your resource collection ability just dies slowly and I think you're going to have a pretty bad game. Um, surprisingly, our score was really close at the end uh, with the two-player game that we played, even though we're doing like pretty radically different things. Uh, what you're doing on the board with the actions uh, is either building roads and getting the points on the milestones. That's why it's called milestones. There's a bunch of like... Basically, the board is covered with numbers, and if you cover a milestone, you get that many points. So um, a lot of people, by the way, say the the art is ugly and the board is ugly and things are ugly. I think it's actually pretty cool. I mean, it's very silly the way the board is organized because, like, who builds like that in real life, you know, like in perfect triangles or whatever. <laughs> but so it's obviously like a board game, but I actually l really like the art style. Um, again, maybe because it came out in 2012 and people are used to, like, really amazingly updated art styles it kind of does go back to the mid 2005 type of designs maybe in some ways uh but yeah so you can build roads you can build these markets you can supply the markets you can build houses on the inside of the triangle so there is a little bit of an area enclosure there because like not enclosure but uh kind of area surrounding or something because you're basically kind of building out like a road network and markets and houses off of it which i think is actually pretty cool i like those types of games um, like I say, the end score was only one point away, even though I was mostly doing markets and supplying them myself, because in a two-player game, I think it's a pretty bad idea for the other person to help you. So, like, once I started doing markets, like, the other player was just like, nope. <laughs> so I had to build my own markets, and the other player was mostly building roads and houses, I think, so we kind of split the economy. So that's why I want to play three or four, because I think there's going to be more mixtures of kind of the economy of the game. But overall, I actually was pleasantly surprised by this game. I really liked it. Um, a very kind of more on the simple side, but also it flowed like really well. Like just very intuitive, very well flowing game. Uh, the decisions weren't deep, uh, but there were interesting decisions to be made, I feel. And I kind of got what I wanted, like a clean, uh, straightforward design, which is kind of what I was expecting. So that's Milestones by Stefan Dora from 2012. I bet you have no idea what this game is, Trevor. So uh, I was watching you. I was teaching hot oh, games yeah, at the you time. You watched so a little bit of the game. Otherwise, I, I would have joined in with you guys because this one looked like something I would enjoy. Yeah, yeah, clean, clean, good German design. Speaking of uh, clean, good Italian design, huh. uh, my my next uh, game is Sapotec by Fabio Lupiano. Uh, this is also kind of a medium weight game. Uh, basically, the flow of this game is uh, everybody simultaneously selects from a hand of cards. Uh, an action card and then you reveal and those action cards have uh, numbers on them that then determine your initiative for the rest of that round and what you do on your turn is you perform a series uh, well first of all you run your income on your personal player board that is determined by the card you selected and income in this game is really cool I think you're basically running a row or column of 
resource tiles that you've collected by building buildings on the central board. And so over the course of the game, your mat fills up and your income becomes better. Um, so you're getting just lots of resources by the end of the game, and then you're using those resources to do things. Uh, you first, after you run your income, you're going to do, I think they're called uh, temple actions or something. Anyway, you you can buy these trade tiles that you give you resources or one-time benefit or an ongoing engine benefit, or you can build uh, part of the pyramids or ziggurats, I guess they're called, in the middle of the board, which will then turn into multiplication scoring at the end of the game, depending on how many times you've contributed to the corresponding ziggurat or pyramid. Each pyramid can have three sections to it maximum, so you're potentially scoring uh, one to three times the multiplier, and the multiplier is just uh, buildings you have of a certain type or in a certain terrain or region. So you're kind of over the course of the game building your end game scoring, which I like a lot in games because uh, you kind of have a lot of influence over that. Um, you can also send uh, sacrifices to the temple to move a marker up this temple track, uh, which has a mixture of point bonuses and resource bonuses and discount bonuses in the trade market to make those tiles more affordable. Um, and then you can perform, I think they're called rituals, which are basically just end game scoring cards, depending on whether you satisfy the conditions. Uh, and that's kind of the whole game. Uh, it has an interesting card economy for the, uh, the cards you use during the game. The game, the cards are all preset at the beginning of the game and you're effectively, when you play a card, that card, everybody's card then becomes part of the open market card and only one new card is added each round so the cards you have played then become the cards you will be picking up uh at the at the end of the round and so you kind of have this uh this game of you know what you want to do the next round so you've got to pick up the card from the market that might allow you to do that if you don't already have the card in your hand um, there's three areas of the board and each area has three different terrain types and the type of card you play determines where you can build your houses to then get these house tiles that add to your, your resource production mat. So there's a lot of, uh, interconnectedness with, with the mechanisms. Uh, it sounds maybe more complicated as I just described it than it is to play it. Um, because it is a it is a fairly medium weight game, I would say, um, bordering on like lighter weight medium, but still enough game there, I think, to to have a lot of fun with it. I thought it was a solid design, and I and I had a lot of fun with it. I know Risto's game was complicated, hilarious, <laughs> hilarious. We'll yep. just we'll just say that. I'll let I'll let you uh, talk about no, it. Basically, I technically played this game. I moved pieces on the board. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I misunderstood the first of all end game scoring. So, like to begin with, my game was very nonsensical, and then I also forgot about the like special house you can build, and also like I b broke down my economy into something that you shouldn't do like ever. So, so <laughs> yeah, you didn't generate kind of a, any priests, which you 
need yeah, to build one of temples the resources and, of the game yeah. basically <laughs> i ignored and i thought i was going to be fine because somehow the game is going to save me but no the game doesn't save you so very very weird experience um I think I can see the potential in this one. However, it's by the same designer as Merv, by the way, so I can kind of see also the DNA with Merv a little bit. Even though with Merv, I feel like it was way more intuitive in some ways. Like it kind of like the theme was stronger, the connection of what you were doing better. Uh, this game to me feels very uh, much more like kind of abstract. Like you're doing yeah, more definitely. abstract things and it's just very some more, somewhat more disconnected. It's almost some kind of an exercise in like optimization of like a logical puzzle of some kind because there's also a weird endgame conditions where they're kind of like a logical puzzle like have things here in different areas and like it it's a different type of game uh, maybe more abstract but i can see some potential here i just would like to play it uh another time and or actually play it maybe for the first time because uh, uh just kind of misunderstanding the rules and scoring and stuff so yeah kind of unfortunate but yeah but that's a mulligan it, i think uh, <laughs> i think the game has potential at least so it was interesting to yeah, see yeah it's it's definitely more abstract than than merv and it's i think intentionally so just because of its weight it's kind of geared yeah. more towards the the lighter audience yeah it's kind of strange though because it is kind of lighter than merv but also it's more confusing in some ways so i don't know it's weird it's it's definitely weird not confusing but like just stranger with the logical puzzles and to how you should organize yeah. your resources I mean, it, and all yeah, that it's, stuff it's a lighter which game, cards but, you select but there's still crunch to it and you still have to think about things and plan and so it's yeah. there's still that element to it which makes it a cool game for me yeah yeah i'd try it again sometime uh speaking of which we're really getting into the silly stuff here meeple party uh this is kind of a joke game that i checked out there was a play to win it's salt con so like you play a game and you hope to win it with a ra random drawing of all the people who played it uh it's a kind of a party game because meeple party get it <laughs> uh no i mean it's a party game because it's like a silly co-op game um actually i think this game purely drives on the theme of it which i th and the art of it which i think is actually really cool the premise of the game is you are in a party uh, so the game starts in your house which you actually arrange before the game starts so like five roommates show uh wake up or they are not wake up but they're just like organizing a party so they start in different rooms and people start arriving to their party so you start pulling meeples out of a bag and like installing them and you're trying to take photos uh so you're trying to make specific like situations happen and the meeples have like silly names like one of them's the cool the other one's like the jerk and the, they have different effects dependent depending on where they enter for example like if you put pull a, a wallflower is one of them it makes one person go away from the room so you can kind of manipulate the makeup of who is in what room or whatever by just putting meeples in there so your turn is like pull one out of a bag so a new guest arrives and then one meeple moves uh the funny thing also is uh people kind of like pass out because it simulates a party and there's some like questionable situations like not really uh x-rated or anything like that but just like just 
kind of look at it but i think that the art of the game goes a long way though uh, because the situations the cards the pictures on the cards are freaking hilarious and i thought that was pretty funny the gameplay play itself is very kind of simplistic like i say you just move meeples and you try to arrange specific logical situations while trying to avoid disasters because the disasters cause stress to the roommates and if you don't if you uh get too stressed out you lose the game so you're trying to avoid disasters take pictures and the pictures are things that you're trying to cause to happen so that's pretty much the game yeah there's a kind of chaos there's events that happen to people depending on like you move the clock every time you take a picture and things change and uh just silly stuff uh happens to you but the game is super charming like i say the theme goes a long way i had a lot of fun with just like the theme of it and how silly and just ridiculous the whole thing is um i would definitely play it again i'm not sure if i would actually buy this maybe if it's pretty cheap but it's it's just like a fun uh if you want to do something co-op and just have some fun and have some silly just kind of admire some silly art and just laugh at uh, ridiculous things you're kind of like running a virtual meeple party so high on theme okay on gameplay that's meeple party that's it uh did you even <laughs> a, see us tagline did you even see us play this i think you like didn't even see us play this right yeah unfortunately not i had to take a work call and you played this oh, while yeah, i was yeah, on right. a work call yep no but it, it's fun you definitely like didn't miss anything if you're looking for gameplay but just like a really funny funny game just a, a kind of a good time game i think actually it would also work well with maybe like a drinking type game if you're like somewhere i think it's appropriate for that probably better than those like take that dumb games um in my opinion so yeah meeple party cool yeah i i heard that that one was fun but didn't get a chance to play it maybe another time uh, the next game I played is The Hunger. This is a uh, Richard Garfield game. So it's just like Magic the Gathering. Uh, no, so this is a deck builder, which has an interesting theme. Uh, you are basically vampires going out on a quest in the land to eat people Try to find a rose if you can. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm looking at the reviews, and the first one is, this game leaves a bad taste in my mouth. That's just absolutely <laughs> hilarious, since you're talking about the theme. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's literally, you're, you're eating people, and <laughs> yeah. some of them don't look too appealing. Uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of a whimsical theme. It I would say it it's similar in gameplay style to Clank in that you're just you're on, on the board you're trying to send your character as deep into this land as you can to get the more valuable stuff or whatever and then come back out before the game ends. In this I think the sun comes up and you just poof because you're a vampire. Um the the hilarious thing about how this works is that the deck building component actually slows you down because you're the most of the cards that you're adding to your deck are humans and as you're eating humans humans don't have movement power or or not a lot if they have any because they're dead right <laughs> so uh 
as you acquire more cards, you become slower. So the the prospect of getting out becomes more difficult the further in you get. Um, if if you're hunting and eating humans, there's also cards that you can add as like ongoing abilities that stay in front of you, um, and then there are there are additional vampire cards that you can add to your deck that that help that move along, um, and yeah, it's basically it's it's a pretty vanilla deck builder I would say one the my favorite element of it that I thought more deck builders could learn from was how it did the card market basically each round you would draw a certain number of cards that um go into the market one it's players plus one players plus one so you're having a decent number of cards enter the market every time into a column and every other card that is there before will shift right into the next column that becomes increasingly less expensive until they all get into column one, which could have multiple cards in it. And when you buy a card from column one, you just take all of the cards from that particular row in, in the first column. And so it has a really, really good, um, in my opinion, uh, market uh, circulation mechanism so that the cards don't, get stagnant and the garbage just doesn't sit there for the entire games i mean garbage meaning the cards that uh, you know nobody's wanting to to buy and put into their decks so uh yeah ultimately beyond that there's not really anything super unique or compelling about this game the theme is whimsical the gameplay is is solid it's it's fun to play i will say i wish there were a bit more deck culling mechanism in this it was pretty hard to get rid of cards because you actually had to be at a specific spot on the board and then also have the card in a position in your hand i think or maybe your discard bar well where i think it's called digesting is the mechanism where you move a dead human yeah, from your stomach to, to or from your hand to your stomach or whatever so it's, it's like thematic or whatever but uh, it was pretty difficult to do, so your deck becomes pretty stuffed <laughs> uh, pretty quickly. Although the game is not super long, so you know I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's kind of like my main complaint about the game is that I generally like in deck builders having a way to get rid of the useless cards, but in this game that I guess is less thematic, so it's not really as key as central in this game as it is in other tech builders but i thought it was a solid game what do you think yeah i just kind of checked it out because i, I want to see what richard garfield is doing these days and uh the game's getting kind of mixed reviews which i can kind of understand um it's basically clank but even more bare bones that, than clank so if you like clank but like you want something even more simple and just kind of more silly i think this is good if you want more game i think clank and actually in particular clank in space is uh where you want to go for more like lengthy curves deck culling weird effects crazy combos and stuff um i think this game has some ideas about combos and stuff but a lot 
lot of it is basically text on cards and everything is just kind of more chaotic there's not that many spaces on the board the the game itself is not very long actually it's what is it like 10 turns i think it is uh or 11 if you have a parasol actually it's 15 sorry i'm looking at the board right now it's 15 so you have basically 15 turns and it's like if you strip it down it's a game where your cards have currency and you're getting point cards right away <laughs> so it's like you're just like your currency is both movement and buy power and you're getting point cards which just junk up your deck so it's just like an exercise in drawing the right things at the right time and pushing it just enough so that your point cards don't kill you <laughs> at the end and i'm guessing there's also a big component of like when you do your final reshuffle if all your point cards which are your people and digested people whatever are at the bottom you're probably gonna have a good time if they're at the top you will get really massively screwed and probably die and lose the game. Uh, but I think it's intended to be like kind of a simpler clank with the weird Richard Garf Garfield twists with uh, weird card texts here and there and just weird stuff. And th there's these missions that you can pick up on the board as well, uh, which are kind of make your asymmetric goals, make you have asymmetric goals a little bit. Uh, but overall, it's, it's, it's a silly kind of fairly basic deck building game with some advanced ideas but it's it's mostly just kind of like a simpler clank as how i would describe it yeah but but i liked it it was it's it's fine i'd play it again uh, uh considering it's a fairly high push your luck game like there's a bunch of very lucky things that or unlucky things that can happen to you so with that in mind play it at your own risk i guess that's the hunger uh speaking of playing it at your own risk i'll just mention really quick that i played el grande the big box again uh, i i really like that game i think we've talked about it before um i would like to play the expansions because i'm getting very <laughs> kind of not sick of but like um i've played the base game a bunch of times uh, we did get a rule wrong previously, actually. Uh, FYI, if you ever play El Grande, generally when you move uh, people or whatever, caballeros or whatever they're called with cards, they can actually move anywhere. Even though the cards show adjacent territories, they can actually move anywhere. And that makes the game maybe better, also more maybe chaotic and less controllable, but I think overall just kind of better because you do want the ability to move people. Uh, very solid area control that's lasted 27 years now, and that's just absolutely amazing. I will give you an update when I play the expansions someday, but I think I'm ready. Do you have and them? Our, uh, yeah, I have the big box, which has like basically everything built into it. Um, so yeah, kind of kind of amazing. After 25 years, it's still sitting at uh, 8.2 at Board Game Geek. So just just crazy. Um, also, the game that I played was pretty cool because uh, it was fairly balanced. Sometimes it happens that people kind of don't get the game and someone just runs away with it. I think in the game that we played, everyone had pretty decent incentives. So everyone was like within 10 points, which I think makes for a good game of El Grande. So pretty awesome. Yeah. El Grande, the big box. Nice. I haven't played that one yet, but I do want to at some point. Uh, 
I feel like the next game I played should be one you talk about. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the ground grande was really quick. Another quick one, Korra. Uh, I only played one game of this, and the game I played was kind of broken, actually. I don't think you ever played that one, even though you like looked at it, probably yeah, because you were... Yeah, I didn't taught. get a chance to play it. Yeah. Um, this game was very confusing to me because it's a civ-building game, technically, but it's like an action selection game. Uh, where there's not much interaction, I feel. And uh, what was surprising to me is there's these global events that happen in the game, and they're mostly related to military, by the way, FYI, if you ever play this game for the first time. That is a major reason to push the military track, and I feel like that makes the game very unpleasantly kind of linear because the game has like three tracks and you can push like taxation where you can get more money you can push economy where you can buy things instead of conquering them with military so i felt like there's like two ways to play the game one of them is with military the other one's with economy and buying things but because the events favor military i feel like it's kind of like a one track game which is very unfortunate i hope maybe i'm not correct with that one someone in our game was also playing the game like really really wrong um instead of payment he thought one like thing that you could do on your board was you get income of tokens which like drastically changes the game so that was really broken and we didn't realize until really late <laughs> so that's funny but uh, actually i the game had a lot of promise um the game also has cards though and the cards have really impactful effects and you only get dealt like five cards and there's an action where you can draw to discard one but i feel like if your initial draw is not good you're not going to have a good time so i'm i'm very kind of divided about this game i wanted to like it maybe more than i did and uh i don't know i'd like to play again <laughs> um the the game is like civilization building you're selecting two actions at the beginning you may unlock a third action and i feel like that's also like a linear thing you should like always do that i feel and i'm not sure if i'm a fan of that in games like there's technically you can get the third action and it's a choice but is it really a choice if you have to do it and everyone almost always does it in every game i only played one game of it maybe it's viable to play without it but i feel like it's something that you have to do and it might be a little bit scripted overall just as a game in general but um yeah, I was expecting it to expecting expecting to like it more by reading the rules. Um, I will play it again someday. Uh, maybe I'll have a better outcome opinion of it. But I thought it was just okay. Unfortunately, Korra: Rise of an Empire is what it's uh, called. It has pretty good reviews actually. So um, I don't know. Kind of maybe it's good. Yeah, overall. maybe I'll try it sometime, but I don't think I will be buying that one. So <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see about that. Um, all right. So technically, the the next game I played was the game I played, but you picked it. <laughs> uh, we played Deep Blue. Yeah. Uh, this is a Days of Wonder game. Gosh, I don't even know who who does that. who's this. This is. Uh, I think first time designer actually, or like someone that hasn't designed Daniel a lot of Pedersen games. and Asger Harding. Oh, no, just kidding. They have a pretty good history, like Flamme Rouge and other games. Copenhagen. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Actually, they have pretty yeah. good games together. Um, I mean, it's this. so this is just a push-your-luck game. You're sending ships out into the ocean, and then you're doing dives to get gems. And there's kind of a 
hand builder, deck builder element to it where you're acquiring cards that will make gems more valuable to you that you discover on your dives um, or help you resist these um, hazards that you encounter on the dives by either you need like more air or something to... Creatures attack you, like, or oxygen yeah, problems. Like block, Those are the two things that can yeah, happen. Yeah, like to you. Block, block a creature. Anyway, so it's uh, basically you. There's a set number of dive tiles on the board, and each dive tile has like a quadrant where somebody could put their ship to where they will get that benefit on a dive, which might be an added protection or a better scoring uh, category to make certain colors of gems more valuable to you. And then when you start the dive, uh, anybody who's on your tile can dive with you. And I think people who are on adjacent tiles can choose to move onto your tile and then join your dive. And then basically whoever started the dive just starts pulling gems out of a bag. And uh, if they pull the bad stuff, the dive can fail and you get nothing unless you're the person who initiated the dive, in which case I think you always get something. Um, and then you can play cards from your hand to like make stuff score better. And then just, you do that until all the dive tiles are gone and whoever has the most points at the end wins. Uh, it is pretty much just kind of a dumb push your luck game that, uh, I don't know. I didn't find it that interesting. Uh, or like, I just, I never really felt like I was doing anything interesting in the game. Uh, and you're just kind of waiting for people to go on dives without you. And then they do amazing, like 21 point dives. And then you start a dive and you either bust or get like three points. And then, you know, it's just kind of, I don't know. I just didn't find it compelling or that much fun, but I, I don't think it was like a trash design or anything like it's just, it just didn't quite work for me. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, I wanted to play this game just to see what it is, and it was supposed to be a silly game, and it was a silly game. At least it didn't go on for very long, but um, I would say that this is like one of the last games that Days of Wonder published, and then they went back to like Ticket to Ride Europe 15th Anniversary Edition and Small World of Warcraft, basically the games that were more successful that they've published. They also did The River and Corinth, which I think also weren't really great games, very kind of forgettable games. So yeah, unfortunately, Deep Blue, I was hoping that it's like some kind of an unappreciated game, but no, I thought it was also pretty, I also thought it was pretty boring. Uh, basically, I think the boringness of the game to me is, first of all, uh, I was thinking in push your luck games in general, you kind of want to keep the whole table together in general. I think that's like every push your luck game, the whole table participates in the push your luck events in some way or another. In Deep Blue, they wanted, I think, like more gameplay or something, or the idea is to have like a more complex push your luck game. So they have like boats, which are separate dives, and maybe someone gets like excluded from a certain dive, but they get a different dive and so forth. Uh, I think what ends up happening is just downtime for the people that are not involved in the dives and the dives are not really that interesting to begin with. So it's like 
downtime on top of not interesting dives, just kind of very boring. Um, the other thing is I think I don't like bags in general. Also, that's probably why I don't like Quacks of Quedlinburg that much because you're just pulling from a freaking bag the entire game. To me, that's just, I don't know why, what it is about it, but it's just not interesting as, as a mechanic, like to for push your luck stuff at least. Maybe it works for Norleon or something like that, but like push your luck games out of a bag, just kind of no. Um, and deep dive is just, it's just boring. I don't know. It just feels boring to me. Uh, I think push your luck games are supposed to be like, uh, just kind of exciting or very swingy and deep dive certainly is swingy, but it's just not exciting enough. Um, in many ways, it's just, like I say, just boring. Uh, they had like an idea of also doing some cards where like more cards come out and they load particular gems in the bag where if you're involved in a dive that pulls that gem you get points so kind of like deck building concepts um, i don't think that was a very impactful thing in the game the deck building aspect of it yeah it was slightly interesting but like it's not a full-on deck building game and the the deck building that you do is just so basic that it's just like whatever so i was just kind of thinking after the game is i might as well play like deep sea adventure or something even though it's a kind of a dumber game i probably would have more fun playing that than deep blue um i think the combination of like trying to do a more complex game where you do separate push your luck events with deck building just didn't play out in this particular case for some reason so yeah unfortunately one of the last the games of days of wonder when they gave up <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. i don't know they haven't actually published like a new game in three years i wonder what's uh kind of happening maybe they're just out of like promising designers or something because i think they used to be famous for these kind of like lighter fun games but maybe not as much lately for, well they're for whatever known reason. for doing like one game a year and that works or, if if your yeah. one game a year is good but if you put out a put couple of clunkers then you know it's i don't know i just don't think that yeah, yeah they probably are just like going back to like you said the stuff that's tested and tried and true yeah i think they tried the river in 2018 wasn't great the blue in 2019 and then just like no <laughs> just just nothing radio silence i don't know um we'll see maybe they'll publish something kind of unique in the future as well but i wasn't excited about deep blue unfortunately so yep i'm glad i tried it but that was it i don't know if i'm glad i tried it but i tried it <laughs> uh i don't know if you have anything else actually pretty much the last game on my list is uh uh, something we probably shouldn't even talk about, but I guess we'll talk about it. Red Outpost! Uh, your absolutely ah. favorite game. <laughs> now, I think this game was kind of unfortunate because I wasn't super solid on the rules and I was trying to read them when some loud stuff was going on in the room and it was designed to be like a dumb game that we played during the loud stuff that was happening, like microphone announcements. But it was not great, <laughs> I should say. <laughs> overall um some might even say it was bad <laughs> yeah some might even say it's bad um 
I don't know. It's a worker placement game where the joke is it's a communist worker placement game. So like uh, you produce resources for everyone, and then you can go spend the resources to con contribute to everyone. But it's obviously not entirely everyone because you have a personal score, and your personal score is these like crystals. And if you produce cubes, yeah, you produce them for everyone, but you get personal benefits with these crystals. And also the idea which I was supposed to be cool is every time you move a worker somewhere you put your disc on them so you like influence that worker so you have interest in their mood and you can improve their mood to score some points at the end of a round or like make their mood miserable to usually troll someone else who has interest in their mood by sending them to like labor camp and they produce more cubes but their mood worsens a lot um, there's also some really strange ideas in the game, which um, the rulebook wasn't super clear about, and I think is just unfortunately a bad rulebook there. Um, it also had some errors. I don't know if they were intentional as a joke or not, but like uh, basically there's this like day-night cycle where you can go to certain locations only in the morning. You can not go to them in the evening. You can only go some to some locations in the evening. And the joke is that like during lunch you have to go to the lunch room or whatever so it's it's almost like the game is like half social commentary or something and it's not even a game it's like the joke there is that it's like you're taking a turn but it's forcing you to do something <laughs> so so it's like are you really taking a turn if the game is forcing you to go to a particular location in the worker placement game uh but i think it's it's supposed to be like half amusing because of that and half like serious or something i didn't fully get what the game is actually trying to do um i think the overall mood of the game is sort of depressing which also is maybe like genius if you're trying to simulate like communist society or something but i think everyone was just like very frustrated about like kind of the kind of the, the just the limitations that the game puts on you and the kind of meaningless things that you seem to be doing around the board there's a bunch of lucky stuff that you do as well it's very like overall very confusing which like i say might be geni genius if they're, that's what they're trying to do but maybe just people weren't in the mood for that type of game or something and also that uh, wasn't like a hundred percent super solid on some of the day night token cycle stuff on the tokens i think we were playing it correctly but the rulebook was very confusing um i think trevor totally hated the game as did most everyone else um but maybe that's the point i don't know what did you think trevor <laughs> i mean i thought that the concept of investing in a share is effectively what it is that you then manipulate and move around to do stuff was an interesting idea but the worker placement benefits were altogether uninteresting uh, and so it felt like I was, you're just moving pieces around really to just kind of mess around with other people and like make their worker less happy. So I never felt like I was doing anything that I wanted to do. I was just kind of looking at the board and seeing what was available and just kind of do the least bad option and then try to screw somebody else up. Um, 
so genius I, I, communist design. Yeah. So if this was like an <laughs> exercise in like telling, showing people why they wouldn't like communism, I guess mission accomplished. But I also don't like your game. So there's that. Uh, yeah, I just, I didn't find the game compelling or interesting. And it, it was just kind of frustrating to play in my opinion. So yeah, I think this is just weird. It might be just like a bad design really. And the joke is like, kind of like, what is it? Uh, I, I was saying it's kind of like ether fields like it's everything's a dream you know like the, i don't know if that's like a genius thing or is it an excuse for like bad mechanics and things that don't work <laughs> in the game so is it the same syndrome here like it's a joke that it's like communist and everyone wants to make everyone unhappy or whatever and like labor camp haha it's funny or is it just like bad design because it's like the first design by this person and it's like a kickstarter game so i'm not sure if it was really very well reviewed so i don't know uh i'm kind of amazed actually that this game still has like decent reviews because i don't think it was good like kind of at all uh, maybe like i say it's an interesting social commentary type experience type game in quotations but would i like play this i don't know it like trevor was saying also it felt kind of like a backwards take take that game game uh not back backhanded take that like not super obvious take that but like oh i'll ruin your worker a little bit and just like a, a negative shares game <laughs> just kind of and there's lucky stuff and who cares and yeah i don't know uh but it's a thing that we played so red outpost yeah. it was on my list to play and i don't know if i'll ever play it again to be honest <laughs> probably maybe not with, for me maybe with some huge fan that's like obsessed with it well, you have to find somebody who backed it and paid for it because then they have like or they feel compelled to like it because they bought it. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it also does have the Kickstarter syndrome as well because a lot of people that do Kickstarter games, I think, just rate them highly because of that. So yeah. it's unfortunate. Well, speaking of communism, the next game I played, I really, really liked, and I played the Soviet Union. <laughs> Good timing. Uh, uh it's the Manhattan Project 2, Minutes to Midnight. Uh, this is a 2019 game, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's fairly recent. Anyway, um, it's worker placement. And I will just say that this game... 18, technically, but whatever. Oh, yeah, 2018. Yeah, this game felt incredibly thematic to me. So it's set in the Cold War era and... Each player is playing a different country that has different player powers um, that are thematic as well. Uh, we were playing with a player who was North Korea, who was just like insanely focused on nuking everything and blowing everything up. Uh, my special ability as the Soviet Union was that my politician workers could be spies, and... Uh, meaning that I could send my politicians to other countries and use the worker placement spots that they put on their building. Um, anyway, so the, the variable player powers were cool because they were also thematic, um, because you might expect a Russian politician or a Soviet politician to also kind of be a spy at that time, or even now. Uh, 
so the the game is the 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 worker placement's actually fairly straightforward um and similar to other Manhattan project games where you have different kinds of workers like a just a general laborer uh in this game you can upgrade your laborers into politicians or spies or generals something like that with military and then based on what worker they are they can do different actions at different efficiency levels to build buildings in your country like uh, hangars or missile silos or uh, nuclear reactors you know things that are thematically tied into the to the game and then uh there's like, I think four interim scoring points during the game where you're going to score based on different categories, uh, maybe your submarines or your air power. Uh, and you can like send, this is kind of funny. Each, each, uh, player has a third world country that corresponds to them. And then you can like store your nuclear materials in other players, third world countries, just like, you know, was happening in the Cold War. Um, so you can, you'll score on like air power and then your nuclear power with your submarines. And then at the end of the game, you score every category and you're just trying to get the most points by the end of the game. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a solid design. The theme really came through. Uh, just really, really fun. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, you've played this one before, haven't you? Yeah, it's been a while. Basically, I think it's actually maybe the better game, but it's uh, Manhattan Project 1 and 2, not so much Energy Empire. Always have this vibe of kind of take that stuff happening, and uh, that's been kind of my, I don't know, not like they're kind of very kind of negative games. in some ways so yeah you're doing uh stuff and yeah you can protect yourself um but there's some take that in the game which i guess is fine but uh i think like the feeling that the game actually evokes is pretty good though like you say uh, with the um kind of there's a submarine mechanic where you can station submarines in particular person's waters and you can try to like hunt for the submarines and you might get nothing or like you say load nukes next to them in a third world world country to like threaten them uh, thematically um i think it gets the feeling just right and the worker placement is really solid and actually the game is really cool uh but definitely expect kind of take that stuff um in this game it's actually based on majorities more i think Basically, yeah. if a lot of people threaten you with nukes and submarines you're probably going to lose on like there's these majority event scorings where like if you're not threatened or something or there's bombers as well by the way uh you can threaten people with like airplanes as well so if you're less threatened i think you're just going to score better and if you're more threatened you're just going to score lower and that's kind of out of your control to some extent to some extent it is in your control but it is kind of like a take that game so that's to me kind of makes it slightly more meh than other games but uh the system actually is really well done though overall i think the system of the game is pretty cool yeah and i guess i i did it didn't feel like standard take that it was definitely confrontation but it just yeah and i mean the, it no, all never made sense. in the game yeah oh go ne- ahead never in the game 
is anything getting destroyed that you have, I think, in this one. In the first one, actually, you could get buildings directly destroyed. There's like a bombing mechanic and you can protect yourself, but there is a bombing thing. I think in this one is all based on majority. So you're not like directly getting attacked, which I think is why it's better than the first one. But it is like, like basically pushing your points down by stationing submarines obviously in your space as opposed to your neighbor's space so yeah, yeah it's not directly confrontational but it's like majorities confrontational yeah exactly and it, it it all just plays into the theme you know you're having conflict without actually having conflict which is kind of yeah. the the cold war um feeling so i thought it was really well done and liked it a lot but the system is pretty cool i agree uh did you have another one i have one more uh, not really. We can talk about yours. I should say that I forgot about Goa. I've wanted to play Goa for a long time, and I like completely forgot about it during SaltCon, so hopefully next time. Game's looking forward to playing. Yeah, I'll have to make that one happen. Uh, so the last game, I think we'll have more to say on a, on a, a future episode, but just really quickly, I played Tabanusi Builders of Ur. Uh, this is the newest game from Daniele Tashini out of Board and Dice. This is a co-design, actually, I think, with David Spada, or David. Not sure how he pronounced it. But anyway, this is the latest game in the T-series, and it is city building in the city of Ur. Uh, I think in terms of weight, this one is not quite as heavy as a Tekenu, definitely not as heavy as Teotihuacan, Um but man, is this a solid, solid Euro game. So effectively, the the flow of this game is that you're trying to set up multiplication scorings in these couple of districts on the board. And it's basically just a spreadsheet, right? It's a, it's a Tashini game, so it, it has that DNA in it. Um, the cool part of how the action selection works is that it's dice drafting, uh, you have two meeples that move around the board. And so at the start of your turn, both of those meeples will be in the same spot. And then you're going to draft a die from that district. And the number of that die determines where you will be taking your actions the next round. Um, so there's five districts. So one through five goes to one of those corresponding districts or a six goes anywhere. Uh, you can also just spend a gold to ignore the value of the die and go wherever you want if you have the gold resource to do that. Um, and and then in those districts, you're trying in three of the common districts, you're just trying to build buildings of certain colors that will then do multiplication scoring with three corresponding tracks. So there's three colors in in the of each building, and there's three colored tracks that you move up, and it's multiplication scoring depending on how high you're on those tracks. When the district is scored, the district is scored when all of the dice in that district have been drafted. And something cool about when you're di- drafting the dice in these districts is that the re- the die itself becomes a resource of that color. And it, it's kind of funny. The, I don't think the rulebook even tried to tell you what those resources are. She's like, this is a blue resource. <laughs> Just figure it out yourself what it is. <laughs> so there's like blue resources and green resources and white resources. Um and so the there's a certain number of scorings that happen before the end of the game is triggered. And then uh, at the end of the game, you score each district 
uh, one more time, and then the game's over. And there's certain personal scoring cards you can have that are basically like build X number of buildings in a particular district, um, and so on. So uh, I think that this game feels really snappy to play it. There's obviously a lot to think about. Oh, I forgot to mention three of the districts are just like the common districts where you're building buildings. There's a harbor district where you're putting houses along the harbor to then do kind of a grid scoring. So you put uh, your cubes basically on... Technology as well, basically, is what the harbor is. Yeah, it's basically technology. You're investing in getting player abilities that then also has a scoring depending on if you've built houses in the columns and rows where you've invested in technologies. And then there's a ziggurat district where you're um you're scoring a game condition there's three ziggurats and each ziggurat tile is different each game but they score based on like a game condition like how many houses you have in the ziggurat district or how many uh ships you've built on technology invested so basically the ziggurat district is just score based on some other game condition um yeah so it's a really solid design i had a lot of fun playing it it uh, it just works really well. And I think you haven't played this yet, but you will soon. Yeah, we're thinking about playing it actually tomorrow, so maybe I'll play it too. And I have uh, decent hopes for it because I like the kind of grid building. Uh, it reminds me of like uh, flooding areas like Citrus or something, even though I think Citrus is probably more clever than this, but still, uh, grid building is good. Also, technologies are face up and you can just choose them. They're not like card based and uh, it just looks kind of like uh, a game that I would like, hopefully. <laughs> Because oh, also <laughs> also, I was amazed to see uh, no feeding. You don't have to spend half the game acquiring resources to just move around or like not die. I guess so. That's positive. Nope, there's no feeding in this one. <laughs> yeah, which is like a staple actually, of of his games, like the freaking <laughs> what is it? Corn to land on spaces that are occupied, or Tolkien like spend half the game getting corn so you don't die. You know, uh, this looks a lot more like friendly and just score points types of ga- type of game yeah yeah i like the general trend in uh games where you're i think there's been kind of a shift of shift away from meat feeding <laughs> from mechanics feeding. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't funny. mind it in some games but uh i don't i also am not complaining in games where it's just not there <laughs> i think it's just kind of i like the mechanic like a lord Vordeep where uh you don't have to address a negative thing it could just be bad at the end of the game if unless other people also choose not to address it um i feel like that's a better way to do feeding feeding just feels like basically the game is forcing you to do certain actions all the time and i think that's not always that fun but anyway yeah i'm I'm looking forward to this one yep that's that's everything i played at saltcon Yep. No, I think that's actually everything. This has been quite a ridiculously long episode, so we'll see you next time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, think, thanks for sticking through to the end of this one if you made it here. Yep. Carnes and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron Network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, Rabble, 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 a comedic look at current events, 
and Steady Diet of Music, a bi-weekly fix of opinions by musicians. You can get a hold of Cards and Cubes via email, cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com, or visit our website, www.cardsandcubes.com. We'd like to thank Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Find more of Kirsten's art on Instagram at catcoffee, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. We'd also like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme and thank all of you for listening and we will return in a couple of weeks.